from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 172, Star Joe's A Real Animated Hero. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm John. And I'm Shannon. And yes! Welcome, <laughs> welcome back, <laughs> Shannon, first, and then welcome back, everybody. <laughs> so Shannon, sad. it's been a while. It's been a while. How have you been? Uh, fine. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> Fight, fighting with sobriety. Okay. <laughs> That's never a requirement to stay away, though. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. You You like me better when I'm nine. Right. <laughs> when you're three sheets to the wind, uh, you can... You're, Only three? <laughs> Only three. <laughs> six, I have to do... Once you're at, like, six or nine, I have to, like, do more editing, so... <laughs> oh, okay. There's a lot of bleeping. <laughs> right. There's a lot of Shannon contacting me the next day going, uh, yeah, can you take some of the stuff out? <laughs> I'll just... I have never... Just use your best judgment. I don't remember anything I said. <laughs> I have that on a copy and paste. Please take out. Please take out. Well, I need to point out, I was so excited. When we started talking about getting together uh, for this episode, our other illustrious uh, co-host, Mr. Is he really, Rack, a, is he really another illustrious one? at this point? Well, he's, a, he's illustrating something because he's not here tonight. <laughs> but apparently, he's like, oh, yeah, I can do tonight, too. And I went back and looked, gang, and just for the record... We haven't recorded as a as a group since since our infamous Force Awakens review, much <laughs> less even with Shannon since episode one sixty, the following episode. So I am I'm Shannon, I love having you back. Robert, I'm sorry you're not here because I was really stoked to think, man, it's been six months since we we've to, we were gang back gang. together, yeah. Yeah. See well, what we don't know is that Robert is actually desperately trying to get online as we speak. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the funny thing, too, because to pull the curtain back, we're recording the Sunday right before 4th of July. Uh, So you might actually hear some fireworks in the background. Um, But 
that's just me pitching. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, we were going to try to record on Friday, and I just couldn't do it. And then I was like, you know what, what about Sunday? And John's like, yeah, I'm all for it. And Robert's like, Robert initially said on Friday, I might be able to make it. But then when we said Sunday, he's like, oh, I can make Sunday. And then that was it. <laughs> and we have not heard from him since then. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll hear anything. We, John and I both sent him a text saying, where are you? What's going on? We'll see what happens. But uh, we have Shannon here. And I was what like, do you need? yeah, you don't need anything more. You got the Bo Jackson of podcasting has returned. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so Shannon, uh, I don't know, what have you been busy with? What, what conventions have you gone to? What's been going on? Just the same old, same old, just been working on Joe, um, been doing some for American mythology, the uh, Pink Panther stuff, working on some things for them. Okay. Um, that's just about it. The only show I've really hit is, uh, Awesome Con. I didn't do Charlotte this year heroes which was a first for me okay um but they're just you know a lot of the people i knew weren't going to be there and after norman and, and jeremy passed away it kind of took a lot of the wind out of the sails for that show so sure certain friends aren't there it's really not yeah. one that i care to go to but um it's still a great show it's just there's a lot of memories attached to it understandable but aside from that yeah it's awesome con working on joe doing some freelance that's about it so how was Awesome John, you were at Awesome Con as well, is that correct? I was at Awesome Con and yeah, and and as a as a fan, as someone that had nothing to actually do with the show from a from a liaison standpoint or any kind of behind the scenes work, uh, if it hadn't been for, for Shannon and Chris Giarusso, um, I would have been very underwhelmed from a comics perspective. Okay. Uh, it was not a great show. You can listen to some of our peers. Uh, no apologies. Talked a little bit about kind of their experience there too, I think. But, um, uh, you know, I obviously saw Shannon. And that was great. I hadn't seen Chris Giarusso in years. And for those of you who don't know Chris, uh, Chris is the creator of G-Man. And uh, I think on the episode we did with Greg Shegel, his name came up. Looking forward to having him guest on our show very soon. Yeah. But he did a, an awesome uh, recreation of G.I. Joe, the cover to G.I. Joe 23 for me. He's been doing a lot of, of uh, Joe-related stuff of late. He's a huge Transformers guy and just an all-around good dude. So I hadn't seen him in a couple years. So getting to hang out with, with him and with Shannon it made that for me. Uh, I saw Tom King, saw uh, Daryl Taylor, which was great because I hadn't seen him in a while. But, uh, but if I didn't have any real connection to that show or have a reason to go, I would have been very underwhelmed. Uh, gotcha. and, and I don't I don't think I'm in the minority on that opinion for, again, from a comics perspective, I think sure. from, a, from a pop culture perspective, you know they had multiple doctors there from Doctor Who and they had they had a uh, Natasha Henstrich, as I believe is her name from Agents of Shield and they had a lot of pop culture guests. But uh, I know Shannon, how did the show go for you other than the, the day I got to spend with you? How was it otherwise? It was fine. I mean, you know, I, I there are certain fans that I always see, especially because they're more local. Um so that was great. It's, it's seeing those people and getting to talk with them. Uh and then a lot of the Joe cosplay there's a huge Joe cosplay presence there. And so I know a lot of those guys and Grub was there with, with the, was it 501st or whatever? 
So I thought you were trying to find the word for baby. <laughs> well, and, and he, he did bring the baby and the wife. It was the first chance I got to meet her and, and yeah. see the baby. Uh, so, but I mean, it was fine. It, yeah, it's one of those shows that I, I don't have a reason not to go unless I'm out of town because it's walking distance from my house. So I, can't, <laughs> I can't say, yeah, I can't make it a travel. It's just, you know. Traffic. Oh, yeah, seriously. So... So I said, from the, from that aspect, it's fine, and and it was a decent show because uh, it doesn't cost me anything. So it's whatever I make, I make. Right, it's not like you're going. Well, the hotels were all booked up. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't have to share a room with anybody. Right. <laughs> we we ended up we actually had our one day Virginia Con last weekend, and uh, that went really really well. It was actually our most successful one day show on record in terms of attendance, and. Uh, we had uh, the original Red Ranger here, uh, Power Ranger. He was a really, really cool guy. And apparently, at the after party that the, the some of the folks on staff with me had at their house, he showed up oh, and wow. like hung out. And so I, I didn't go because I'm old and I you know, <laughs> had dinner with a friend and went home because I was tired. You could have stopped he, with I'm old. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, but he hung out with them until what we hours of the night. Apparently, it was really, really cool. But it was, you know, good low. I mean, it was a nice local feel. Uh, Matt Slay was here. I know, I know, uh, Ryan. You, you know, Matt. Oh yeah. And, uh, um, uh, Sam Ellis was here. He's hawking his show, which we'll be attending on the 16th of July, which I'm sure will you'll have this out before then. But oh, yeah. Fred Con up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, will be the first show that Sam is putting on, and Shannon's going to be there. I'm going to be chauffeuring him around. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. So, but it was, uh, again, it was a nice, a JP came up, brought his daughter, got to meet her. Oh, nice. And that was fun. And so, you know, got to hang out with, with him quite a bit and a couple of the other regulars. Wait, wait, uh, he's reproduced. <laughs> Twice. even. Yeah. I mean, yay. <laughs> really, 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 really. His daughter was very, very sweet. She had a neat little sketchbook and she was getting sketches and he's, uh, JP has started a He-Man sketchbook, which is fantastic. Oh, wow. It's a really great book. And so, um, knocking on the table here, he should be attending Baltimore with us, Awesome. Uh, which we'll be talking about, you know, I'm sure beforehand, but Baltimore is shaping up to be epic in terms of attendance. Of, I was... Of, Actually, wanting to, yeah, I was actually wanting to so, transition into that once uh, once we had a chance to. So uh, yeah, well, let's do it. All so, right. Yeah, so I think more. I think all is all three of us going. Shannon, you're going to be the there. Plan. Yep. Okay. Okay. So um, so yeah, all three of us will be there. Uh, not only that, but so far, what's the the plan is so far? Uh, some other people that have been on the show before. <laughs> Travis is supposed to come with me. Uh, so Uncle Teabag himself. Uh, Nick, who's been on the show quite a few times, uh, will be there with me. And Chuck is supposed to come. Um, he said he has been saving up all year for it, and he has already put in vacation day for it, uh, so he can make sure he has the time off. He's already checked with the girlfriend's already busy that weekend, so there's no issues as far as her wanting to go do something. Um, so, yeah, so all four of us should be driving from Ohio uh, coming down, we'll probably do the same thing we did last year, which is we'll leave early in the morning on Friday, get up there about Friday afternoon, come to the con. So stay off the roads. Exactly. Um, we'll get there in the middle of the afternoon, come to the con for a little bit, and then we'll be there all weekend and leave on Sunday like we usually do. But yeah, it should be a lot of people that we know will be there. So, And I'm looking at JP as well as Brian Lang. Nice. Uh, and then uh, I'll have Jacob uh, with me. 
And uh, Travis yeah, so coming, right? it, it, tra- he just said Uncle Teabag. Didn't you listen? Oh, Aren't you oh, listening? Put on your put on your listening ears, boy. Sorry, <laughs> yes. sorry, sorry. Yes, your new your your new best friend Travis will be That's there. Right. You guys will talk Common Rider the whole time. Got it. The rest of us will look at you like you're slam nuts. But uh, but yeah, it, it it should shape up from a Starjo's perspective to be an epic summit in yeah. terms of the crew. Uh, I th- and I think I don't know. Shannon, if you talk to him, I think Brian Shearer is planning on being there. I don't know if he's it's worked not. on a table or huh? Just not in my room. Yeah, just not in your room. <laughs> and then Olivia Tien is going to be there. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it, 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 yeah, I'm, I got to tell you guys, I am so excited. Oh, yeah. Two months out. It, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's going to yeah, be great. This, and I, I know the DC noise, DC noise guys are already planning on going, at least Daryl and, and Mike. I, you know, yep. Keith is always up in the air. Um, until last minute, but uh, I assume we'll see Rock again. Uh, he g- goes every year, uh, you know, and uh, trying to think some of the people we saw last year. I don't know if Chris Ivy will be there again this year. That'd be awesome if he can make it again. I got to meet him. For he the went first. to Heroes this year, so I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. He went, went to Charlotte. Yeah, so Chris I'm, Campbell will be there. I do know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Chris Campbell's always there, which is awesome to see him. And um, yeah, so it should be nice big group of us uh and that all know each other and if if it's your first time or your 20th time being there and you just haven't come up to any of us i mean please stop by and say hi you're welcome to hang out with us pretty much the whole weekend we don't really care <laughs> uh we have a good time I and care. well shannon cares but, uh, <laughs> shannon cares that that any of us are there so <laughs> He really just wants to show all to himself, but uh, but yeah, I'll have. I mean, I'll be wearing my Star Joe shirt. I'm sure John will be as well, and uh, Nick usually is, and Chuck maybe. <laughs> Don't forget, it's the season of the hug. Oh yes, yes. Well, and I will tell you this too, Shannon. Uh, I know I, I didn't I didn't intentionally screw you over last time. What? What? <laughs> but. Um, oh, that's true. Yes, you yeah, did. I didn't. Yeah, you did. You I did. did. I didn't. You but, did. But what I was going to say was this year, if they're doing the raffle thing again, no. I would mm-hmm. my name in to help you get one. Right. And yes, so. you've already you've already said that once on the show. Yeah. So I, I I've heard it, but yes, yeah. I you know. Yes. Yeah, so. You got us all. You got us all helping you, Shannon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've already I already got my sketch, so I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep keep it up, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think it'll, I, I'm wondering how he'll react when you show up like this time, like last time he, they acted like they didn't remember you at all. <laughs> and I don't know how that's possible this year. <laughs> yeah, I was, I have to admit, I was a little surprised. I was like, really? You don't remember me like sexually assaulting Garcia Lopez? Right. I remember that? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I think, I think he recognizes me now. I would I, hope so. <laughs> I was I was even gonna do like an animated GIF thing to put on his his Facebook page of just like arms coming up out of the ocean like Jaws <laughs> kind of like dun 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 dun. Well, I hope he recognizes you now, especially with the uh, restraining order and everything. Yes. <laughs> I'm just gonna have one of the pictures printed on a T-shirt and wear that just so he knows. <laughs> um, we'll just get you a hugs a lot bear like the Care Bear oh, as a T-shirt. Do that. <laughs> oh no. Don't tempt me. I'll free order, hugs. I'll find one for you. Yeah. Have you seen the free hugs with the uh, uh, Tim Curry from It 
as mm-hmm. Pennywise the clown. It's yeah. like it's like a he's down in like a a cave, <laughs> and outside there's a board that says just says spray painted free hugs, and it's Pennywise the clown standing there. <laughs> So like, let's not make it creepy. <laughs> I think we passed creepy a while ago. Oh. <laughs> I know you hug him out of love. I get that. How can you not love the guy? I understand this. But... So many reasons. So, since you've been gone for a while, you missed a couple movie episodes. Yeah. And um, you always seem to have some interesting picks and reasons behind I don't. I don't. I, I stopped doing the themes because it didn't go over well. I didn't say you had themes. I said you have interesting picks and reasons behind them. <laughs> and I don't know if you caught any of the previous ones, but I actually had a category in, I think it was 1984. It was Shannon uh, movies I thought Shannon would like. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. So what are they? They, uh, they I, can, I don't remember what they were, but they all had to do oh. with, with women, of course. <laughs> they, they were all about, yeah, growing into yourself. and Right. Yeah, growing into, your, into myself. <laughs> Well, you know, that time, that, that, that time, time of, you flower into manhood. Yes. <laughs> because one of them was, one of them was hard bodies. And I told the whole story about my, my yeah. best friend, Mike Thompson and I watching hard bodies when we were 15, but I'll tell you that story sometime offline or you one, can listen to the episode. I think one of them was hot dog, the movie. So my Lord, people really <laughs> anything with boobs, you right. know, that's well, what oh, so no one mentioned electric dreams. Oh, and splash of Virginia Madison. Splash was on the list as one that you would probably like because of, you know, Daryl Hannah. So. Yeah, but you didn't see anything. No, or you not, don't. Not that I paused the film. <laughs> but John Candy got a story published in House. <laughs> <laughs> and your finer nudie films do come from Sweden. <laughs> so, all right. So you, uh, you have your list there of yeah. 1984 and 1985. So hit us with what you got. Because right, I know John's going to be disappointed no matter what I say, so I'm just going to do my list. Because <laughs> I, I I know what his number one for '84 was. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, John. Didn't make the list. <laughs> Man, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but number five, and, and I I was telling my wife earlier, I was like, I judge the films when I'm legitimately doing lists and not just making up stuff to kind of like you know have a theme. Right. Um. That I judge it on how many times I watched the film, and then how influential I thought it was later on. Sure. Like if it changed the way I thought about something, or, or influenced the way I did work, comic work, or whatever. Okay. So number five for me was Amadeus, mm. which was a, an amazing film anyway. But I have to say that I also took on that horribly annoying laugh. <laughs> that Hulk did in the film yeah that one except it was much higher pitch when I was a teenager so it was exactly like his in the film so it annoyed the hell out of everybody um, but it was also one of the first like seriously period oriented films that I watched like a historical drama Okay. because up until that point I just I wouldn't give those things the time of day But yeah. that, so that was like one of the first series like a turning point for you yeah so it, it really kind of opened up my eyes to other films and different filmmaking Okay. Number four, I kind of have a tie. And this is based on the fact that I listen to the soundtracks of both of them all the time. Okay. Which is The Karate Kid and 16 Candles. Okay. So, yeah, and plus Elizabeth Shue. Right. <laughs> and and it forced me to go out and take my first karate class, my second karate class, and then never again karate class. <laughs> um, so that, that's why those made it in number four. So that, that's a tie. 
Well, I will say uh, you mentioned Elizabeth Shue. Uh, Carlos uh, uh, Carmona had posted just before this episode the adventures in babysitting. Uh, it was 29 years as of today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he said, uh, I did have a thing for Elizabeth Shue. And my response was, who didn't have a thing for Elizabeth Shue? <laughs> who still well, yeah. doesn't have the thing for Elizabeth Shue? Right. Come on now. <laughs> this is true. Which is why, which is why uh, Electric Dreams almost made the list. Because yes. Virginia Madsen was in that. And I'm not saying that she was naked, but those are some great freeze frames. Um, number three, this ought to make Ryan happy, but unhappy at the same time as Ghostbusters. Okay. Now, I put Ghostbusters on that because I watched it a lot, but I don't know that how much of that I took away as far as like an influence on the way I did things. Sure. You know, because I, I, aside from the actual uh, guns or whatever you want to call them, because I don't, I'm not that big of a nerd. <laughs> uh, I, there wasn't, there wasn't like this overly dominant sense of design to the film. Gotcha. I mean, you had a few items, but there was nothing that I would go, oh, I'm going to always draw things like that, or I'm always going to do things like that. Gotcha. Um, but I did enjoy the film, and I've watched it a million times. Yeah, so. and that's and much like you were saying, for me, it was how much I've watched it, and for me, it was really how much do I quote it every single day in my yeah. life. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a big part of it. I mean, that's kind of like why 16 Candles even made the list. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's just kind of a, you know, I've seen it a bunch of times, but right. there are a lot of quotes like, you know, no more Yankee, my wanky. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Which can be used daily, so. Well, even when you're making dinner. Um, so number two number two was Terminator okay uh, for a lot of the same reasons classic lines uh, I love the fact that for basically no budget they made one of the coolest sci-fi films I've ever seen oh yeah um, and even though it's kind of a cliche to a certain extent now just because of Arnold and his you know accent and and the, right now they're showing it on Comet or something, and they add for it. If you, if you have Comet, look for the ad, because it's one of the funniest things. They do some of the best ads for their movies on that on that channel. Okay. Uh, just kind of ragging on the, the cliches of it. Um, plus the eyeball scene. Oh, yeah. It doesn't like the, the eyeball scene, and then the whole, like, you know, fuck you asshole with the whole, like, you know. Great. Love that. But number one is a, is a really special film for me, and this is why John it didn't you know fuck didn't make the list. Uh, is this is Spinal Tap? Oh yeah. So growing up in my household with my dad being a studio musician, I've seen that movie probably as close to the number of times I've seen Star Wars as any other film. Okay. And so many of those lines, I just remember my dad laughing so hard at that film because. Almost every line in that movie is something that he had heard on a daily basis okay. from some other idiot musician. Yeah. Uh, just all the inside jokes. And I remember when I went on tour with the Everly Brothers when I was in high school, it, every time they'd go on stage, it was, hello, Cleveland, you know, was, <laughs> yeah, almost before every single show. So it was just like tons of those lines in it that not only did I quote every day from having enjoyed the film, but my dad quoted it. So that was like a big connection. Film nice. Yeah. Um, my honorable mention that, that for those for that year. And I didn't know, I almost listed this for 84, but the film came out in 84 in Japan, but didn't come out in the States until 85. And then it was like one of those God awful dubs and chop shop jobs, which mm-hmm. was Nausicaa, or as it was known in the States, warriors of the wind. Okay. 
and it was the first time I ever saw an anime film that didn't sell me a toy or just have some stupid gadget in it that was the center and focus of the whole show. It was actually like a serious sci-fi drama done in anime. And up until then, I thought, okay, all anime does is sell me toys and show me cars that I can never own because nothing bounces over other cars <laughs> and drives underwater. So it was it was one of the most influential and uh, animated films I had ever seen for me. Cool. Uh, and then also from a visual standpoint, the design of it. Uh, some honor, other honorable mentions were Firestarter. Okay. Just because I love going, you're blind too, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I, I used to do constantly through high school. Uh, and then the last Starfighter, just because of the graphics. And yeah, I was blown away by that as a kid. So let me ask you this: with the last Starfighter, because I, I love that movie too. Do you? It's one of the few movies for me, and I just want your opinion. It's one of the few movies for me that I feel could use a remake. Like I think they could do something really yeah, it's, good. It's not one of those films that I look at and go, "It's so perfect the way it is." Yeah, it's one of those films that I look at and. The acting could have been a little bit better. The story could have been a little tighter. The sets could have been a little more elaborate. Yeah. And then obviously of the effects yeah. for what it was. And basically the film was made as an experiment in effects. Yeah. Uh, obviously we, it could be a hundred thousand times better. Yeah. It's, it's one of those movies like if I heard they were making a remake of it, I'd be like, all right. <laughs> but you know what's funny is, is one of the things in the film that, that I remember the most is remember when they're in the ship and the guy's showing him pictures of his family? Yeah. And they're on a little card and they flip through? Yeah. And now you do that on your iPhone? Yes. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that is the coolest thing ever, man. That'll never happen. <laughs> it's amazing like how much – like there's whole books written about how science fiction uh, books and movies and everything else dictate what has – become reality yeah so um so uh any other honorable mentions before you jump to 85 or you could be here all night that's true but, you know i felt bad because i didn't put temple of doom on the list but it's not my favorite indiana jones film. yeah but and you didn't put buckaroo bonsai anywhere and on i your didn't list. put buckaroo i'm so bonsai. sad <laughs> i know i, I thought you talked about one, it for an hour and a half i thought you would be the one person on the show that would understand I, my love for I, that movie. i understand your love for the film it's just if it makes you, you feel, can't compete with Molly Ringwald's underwear. <laughs> if it, Fair enough. If it makes you feel better, John, it uh, you talking about it so much made me go and and find it and watch it. So and I love it. I've seen. Oh I, yes. I, I saw I saw it when I was a kid uh, or when I was younger. Uh, so it wasn't like I had never seen it before, uh, but I hadn't seen it since then. So it was just like going back and watching again, I was like, man, John loved this one so much. <laughs> I need to go check this one out. So, um, and that's what a lot of those movie episodes do for me is they make me want to go and either see something I haven't seen that you guys really like, or it makes me want to go back and rewatch something that I haven't watched in years. So, but there were a lot of films in 84, like nightmare on Elm street came out. And I didn't mention that one at all. Yeah. And as horror films go, that, that scared the living bejesus out of me. Yeah. You yeah, know. you don't want to go sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or or odd films like Repo Man came out that year. Yeah. Which I enjoyed a lot. But it's one of those things that it's got so many problems as, a, as an overall film. But you you really kind of appreciate the quirkiness of it. Yeah. So there's a, there was a whole bunch of that year that just didn't make the list. Yeah, like I said, I think as we got far, get further into the 80s, it becomes tougher and tougher for me. Because I've seen at that point, like about mid 
like 84 th- all the way through the rest yeah. of the eighties. It's like, okay, I saw almost all these movies and they all have like some story behind what, when I saw them and why I saw them and everything. So, so 85, what do you got for us? All right. 85. I'll start with the honorable mention, which okay. uh, coming in at number six would be better off dead. Nice. Nice. Um, I, another film I just watched a ton of and quoted a million times. Number five, I had a tie. And I actually wrote it down and then went back and gave it a tie. Uh, at first, it was just going to be Lady Hawk, which my wife really started laughing at me for. Uh, <laughs> and she knows it was totally because Michelle Pfeiffer was in that scene with just the bare blanket. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that was the reason I love that film. <laughs> but it is it is one of those films that, you, you know, I got into Nights and all that stuff because of it was another thing like that. But yeah, the, the one thing that bugged me about the whole film it, or the biggest detractor for it was the soundtrack. I, I still don't understand why there was like this heavy rock soundtrack for basically what was an Excalibur type movie. Right. <laughs> I could never figure that out. And wasn't Richard Donner directed it, which was yeah. the, the main reason I went and saw it. And I was like, oh, he gave us Superman and, and all this. This would be great. And I thought for the whole time, I was like, why did he? Do, I don't get this. Why is there a a hard rock soundtrack to it. There's a lot of movies like that where they like. I know I, I was thinking that with the uh, the recent movie Warcraft, where the the trailers were showing like these hard rock music and everything. I'm like, that's not what I would expect from a <laughs> mythological fantasy world. So, but it kind of set the whole thing up because then Robin Hood came by in the later with Kevin yeah. Costner and they had kind of a hard rock yeah soundtrack to it. And, anyway, but I, I love the film. I love the sword fights. It was it was like oh Rutger Howard's not just a robot, um, so I enjoyed that and that was tied with Weird Science. Oh yeah, another film that was just full of quotes. Yeah, um, but when you watch it, you're kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a teenager stank film. Let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> uh, aside from like some great one-liners and Kelly LeBrock in her heyday, it, right. It, it, it's not one of those films that you go back to and go, oh, let's do a thesis on this. <laughs> no, but it was uh, as I it was on my top five also, and it was one the movie where I said basically it fulfilled what every teenage boy wanted to be able yes. to. Do. <laughs> so, so then number four was Brazil, okay. the Terry Gilliam film. That movie just warped my brain when I saw it in the theater. My brother made me go see it with him, and I just remember watching it visually. And he convinced me. He was like, oh, the guy that did Time Bandits did this. I'm like, all right, I'll go see this. And it just blew me away because of just how they treated the sci-fi aspect of it. It didn't have to be lasers and spaceships. And that was kind of an eye-opener for me as far as you you could do these fantastic dramas that really kind of took society apart from a sci-fi standpoint. And it didn't have to be formulaic like some of the Star Trek stuff is – or it didn't have to, like I said, lasers and spaceships. Yeah. So that was when I started to really kind of look at filmmakers and what they were doing. Uh, and Terry Gilliam, obviously, is one of the main ones in that. So number three was uh, Back to the Future. Okay. Uh, again, quoted a lot. A major film from that era. You always see it everywhere. How much more can you say about it? Because everybody's talked about it, especially since the anniversary came up yeah you almost couldn't get away from it no um and it makes people buy cars that don't run (laughs) that that alone we know at least one person that i'm not saying anybody in particular but maybe (laughs) 
Uh, so to continue my Molly Ringwald obsession, number two is Breakfast Club. Okay. Because I played the hell out of that soundtrack. Sure. Um, it's the uh, only thing I know E.G. Daly from that is music-wise worth a damn. Well, hell, as soon as you start talking about 80s music, that song comes up. You know, the oh, yeah. the main song comes up. So. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm a softie. I, I like the idea that people that are totally different can still get along. You don't yeah. have to be in a clique. You don't have to all be into sports. You don't all have to be... Because I, I think one of the things about my friends is, is I try to have an ensemble of friends, not yeah. they're all jocks or they're all whatever. That, that was one of those films that kind of makes you start to rethink how you think about people. Yeah. But keeping with E.G. Daly, number one was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Nice. Wow. Um, I love that movie, and I admit I was a huge Pee-wee Herman fan. For all of his faults, all the mistakes that he made later on, I loved <laughs> that film, and I loved his TV show, and that was what opened my eyes to him. Uh, I still think he's funny. I still think the show is funny. I still think the movie is funny. Uh, Big Top, I'm not going to talk about. I'm going to leave that one out. <laughs> but I, I just I enjoyed almost every scene of that film. Yeah. Uh, and then the the dream sequences were whacked out. Tim oh, Burton, yeah. that kind of yeah. opened my eyes to Tim Burton as a film director. I know he's yeah. he's had a lot of faults in the past few years. Yeah. But early on, I think he was nailing it. Like his earlier films, he just nailed it every yeah. single time. So, so Shannon, have you seen Big Holiday yet, the new one? No, and I seriously want Netflix it. exclusive. Okay. Have you? Okay. I have. Is it worth watching? I uh, so we talked about that with Greg Shegel, and uh, he had he he saw it from a very different perspective than I did, which is which is a good thing. I thought it was funny. It wasn't it wasn't stellar. I thought it was funny. Daniel loved it, uh, but he's also thirteen. So what are you uh, I, I you know he's looking at it from a thirteen year old eye, but. Uh, I think it's worth watching just to see what you think, but it, it certainly it is. It's not it's not uh, big adventure, but it's not big top. So it, I think it's worth watching once just to say you saw it. Uh, Joe Manganiello is, steals the movie. He's hilarious in it, and all the dream sequences with him are hysterical. But I think it's one of those. It's definitely things. worth checking out. I think it's one of those things that is kind of a product of its time. I mean, it is so 80s. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there was a certain mentality in the 80s that, like, we're all going to die from the bomb. Let's just, you know, have a great time and not worry about it and wear ugly clothes. Well, and like you said, too, Tim Burton was really at his peak right then, too. So you have this, I mean, I mentioned, uh, we talked about uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and I said it was the first time that I actually knew the director even at that young of an age, knew who the director was because I had watched a lot of his little shorts that he had done before I went and saw uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So I was like, oh, well, I like his stuff. Let me go see this movie. So, um, yeah, to your point, I think it, I think it's a fantastic movie, and it holds up really well. Um, it does. It absolutely does. Hey, I have an 85 honorable mention to to include on mine i i can't believe i missed this mm-hmm. because it was so important to me when i was younger and damn i just missed that it was 85 but it's a <laughs> it's a comedy because you know me i uh, the, the funnier the better and it's a bunch of brothers of people that are brothers of famous people uh the the star is john murray of of bill murray's and brian doyle and that and that crew 
James Keach, which is Stacey Keach's little brother. Um, uh, well, it, it's called Moving Violations. Oh, um, yeah. And it, it's from the guys that created Police Academy. And it's oh, it's so good. <laughs> I remember you talking it's about so that when good. you were It's so good. It's about a bunch of people yeah. that lose their cars. Yep. You know, they they have to go to they have to go to traffic school. They watch blood flows red on the highway with like brains and kid you know kid blood all over this all over the windows and they run over people. It's hilarious. But the best part is um, Clara Peller, who's the where's the beef lady from Wendy's, and Ned Revolts, who was the uh, Adelaide on um, different strokes. They're in it and they drive they ride around together. And Ned Revolts drops the f bomb, and it is so damn funny. I, I I can't believe I missed that it was of that time. Fred Willard and Wendy Jo Sperber, rest in peace, are also in it too. It's really really funny, and it's one of those that I it just kind of got missed. I think when it came out, I, I'm sure it's probably well. I'm guessing it's got a cult following because it is really really funny. But yeah, Moving Violations came out '85, and somehow I missed. Nice. When we were doing the li- my list, that it was that it came out that year, it is available on the Tube of You. Uh, <laughs> you can watch it there and not pay for it. And um, yeah, if 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 you've listened to me on this show and like my bent on humor films, I say your taste <laughs> will probably appreciate it. Uh, if not, that's okay too. But yeah, Moving Violations, I think, is worth a watch. Nice. You know, it was funny though, going back and making my list because I did it, you know earlier today when we were talking about doing this um chuck norris made a lot of damn movies in a short period of time <laughs> yes, yes he, he did, did. <laughs> and i was i was sitting there reading the list and i was like oh yeah that chuck norris movie should i put that on there and I, wait a minute there's another chuck norris film wait wait there's another <laughs> chuck norris the man was working his butt off prolific yeah yeah it was all those canon movies which you need to go back yes. and watch electric boogaloo the documentary about canon where we oh, that's right we talk about you know, yeah so that's worth watching we need to do another movie review, if we may, or a movie conversation. Yeah. And I know we got, we got a lot going on in this episode. That's but. all right. So a few weeks ago, I no. was in D.C. for uh, a human resources conference with 15,000 of my closest friends to talk about what I do for a living, uh, which is not just hiring and firing. But uh, but anyway, went up Saturday night early, and, I, and Shannon and I, I talked to Shannon, and I was like, hey, man. I'm going to be in the district. Let's hang out. And he said, absolutely. What do we want to do? So we said, okay, we'll do, we'll do dinner. We'll have like a, you know, boys night, you know, just entertainment. What are we going to do? All right, dinner. And then what? And he said, oh, let's watch force awakens. I think tongue firmly in cheek. So I said, no, 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 no. I you said, asshole. What about, I said, what about what John said, suggested just sitting around reading the book? Well, that, that was, that was true. Yes. We did talk about going to the library and getting a couple copies of the book, but I said, Hey, have you seen Deadpool yet? He said, no. I said, let's watch Deadpool. Cause I can't watch that at the house with children and a wife here. Right. Let's watch Deadpool. And, and if Mel is around, great. If not, that's okay too. Let's watch it. And, kind of harumphing along we decided to watch deadpool and holy shit was it worth an hour and a half of our lives yes i did not want to like that movie he did not want to like really? that movie. i did not want to like it especially well, especially when mr liefeld got his cameo in the early on okay yeah. 
So do, Shannon's erupt so in the you, whole. Do you have less, like a, a you not care for the character or is it? No, it's him. Oh, no, he doesn't like okay. life. No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> let's, let's not mince words here. Fair so enough. We're watching, we we see like the the opening sequence, the title sequence with ass hats and right. you know cool yeah. and, and a CGI guy and a, and a blue a moody teen. Right. We're laughing. We're like okay. Then they have the whole big fight on the street, and that's hilarious. Well, yeah, but the the credits though to the to to their credit, um, it, the listing of it, it wasn't like so and so, so and so. It was the dude that's paid too much yes. you know it's like all the little end jokes of well and the making thing, fun of the cast without actually naming the cast yes and the thing i loved about that is it totally and i mentioned this to john it totally lets you know the movie you're about to watch yeah it sets <laughs> oh, up that, yeah so so we get we get through that we see that first that first whole fight sequence on the road and we're laughing they go to the bar and they show liefeld and shannon just shuts down and i'm like oh come on man we got it we got to power through this and we power through in the second half of that movie we laughed uncontrollably well i think he laughed at me more than he laughed at the movie you were enjoying yourself that movie that movie was flipping hilarious it is is. i I had to keep reminding john i was like dude the the walls in our building are really thin (laughs) kind of tone it down a bit so so since i am bacheloring it this weekend I rented it again this weekend and watched it by myself and laughed the whole damn time. Oh, it's fantastic. It was so – holy cow. I, I loved it. I I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so funny. I am not a, I'm not a big Deadpool reader. I've read a few yeah. things we talked about before. Yeah. But they nailed – the only thing I would change – well, two things I would change. I would improve the Colossus because I thought the CGI on Colossus was not great. Yeah. Weren't his arms too short? I swear to God, yeah, he could he not just, yeah, he like, pee standing up. He would have to bend over yeah. to pee. Yeah. Yes. He did. He, he, he just <laughs> Otherwise, he's just spraying the wall. He, his arms weren't long enough. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. Proportionally, he was off. But of course, I recognize they didn't have the kind of budget that the right. Yeah. I, well, I, I love the whole scene where he shows up at the mansion and he's yeah. like, you know, it's almost as if the, <laughs> the <laughs> can I come in? Yeah. You don't want me to come in because you don't have a room. <laughs> Well, and the other thing is I would have made – and I know you can't do it because you're selling it on Ryan Reynolds. He should have looked like hamburger meat. Yeah. He, he I was, was a little too disappointed pretty. with the mate. Like the fact that he made out with Marina Bachran at the end, I'm like, come on. that Okay. He should not be that attractive after whatever happens to him. Yeah. He ought to look like a zombie or – Although he was a lot less attractive than I thought they were going to do to him. Oh, I well, I, I, I appreciated I no that. I was I was I expecting no, more Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I had no frame of reference, and especially all the the one liners I'd heard of T.J. Miller talking about an avocado having sex <laughs> with I don't, the topographical maps. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I, I loved it. I, I watched again. I just watched it for a second time. I thought it held up. I picked up some more some more of the one liners that I didn't get the first time. Yeah. Um, congrats to those guys for putting out something that is not for everybody for sticking to their guns and saying, we're going to make a movie that fits the character and the persona. And, and we're going to make it that way. The after sequence thing, we were dying laughing. Like it was so awesome. And I hope that I haven't gone back to look, I, I, I'm betting that they have the same wallpaper that they have. That was the big question. Yeah. 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 Like it's gotta be the same. 
I, I oh, I, I, well, I, I will say with very little expectation yes. other than I'd heard how good it was, not having any personal expectations for it. I friggin' loved it. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that after credits thing for anyone. But uh, our one buddy Sam, who is a bit younger than than us, uh, he saw it and he was like, and I was like, oh my god, did you see the after credit scene? And he's like, yeah, I don't get what everyone's so hyped up about. I was like, have you seen you know this wow. movie? And he's like, yeah, I've seen that movie. I was like, have you stayed to watch the after credit scene for that movie? And he's like, no, I didn't know there was one. And I was like, no, that's one of the most famous ones ever. I, I want to say that is that the first movie to ever have an after credit no, like, scene? No, no. Do you know what the first one is? No, but I, I'm pretty sure there are okay. ones before that. I just I can't believe he hadn't seen that at some point. Yeah, yeah. I was just what? like, how do you not? So he's like. He's like, oh, well, maybe that's why I didn't get much out of it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would be exactly why you didn't get much <laughs> exactly, out of it. Exactly, yeah. Oh, no, I know I know which one uh, I can point out that had one before. That was uh, Muppet Movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Muppet Movie, Animal yes. comes on at the end and tells yep. everybody to go home. Yeah, that's um, true. I want to see, like, I want to get the DVD just yeah. to watch the extras on it. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and honestly, it's one of those films that you know you're going to watch a billion times, so you don't want some crappy copy yeah. you want to buy the DVD. Yeah. So if you if you like that character, which I'm not a big fan of that character, I do like that film. Yeah. So it is one of those that I'm going to be picking up. I'm honestly that's part of my collection. I'm honestly in the same boat as you though, Shannon. I am not a big fan of the character. I th- I think he works pretty well like if he's just a character thrown in with a bunch of other characters. Um but like his solo stuff I've never been a huge fan of and um, I'm not a fan of his creator either. Um, so, yeah, but the movie I thought was fantastic. Uh, more subtle line that is my absolute favorite line in the whole thing is when he's being dragged off and he's uh, by Colossus and Colossus is like, I'm taking you back to the professor. And he's like, which one, Stuart or McAvoy? <laughs> McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, unless you know the meta behind that like that joke just goes right over your head <laughs> well and he said something about who did i have to blow to get this movie it's pulverine <laughs> that was good too but but we laugh because there's a crack in it and, and the day after the movie a day after we watched it i took a picture of a dude wearing an affliction shirt or something that was oh yeah heavily studded and i texted shannon and i said too much bedazzling and his response was <laughs> it's not a chandelier <laughs> Nice. It it really was. It just it hit it hits it hit all the right notes. There's a I mean for those of you that are fans of the of the of the show, there's Voltron references in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. holy crap! It was it was so funny. And yeah. well, you had again, to explain some of like even like the toy thing. Oh yeah, when where they he was had holding the, the action toy, figure. Yeah, where he had the Wolverine. It was the Wolverine from or the Deadpool from oh, Wolverine. Deadpool. Yes. Wolverine yeah. This is my favorite action figure. I'm yes. like. Whole that that stuff, oh man, okay. it was oh, it's so good. And again, and what was not what was the actress? Not, we we couldn't. We, at first, we thought it was Michelle Nichols. Oh, Leslie Uggams. Yes, yes. Le- Leslie Uggams playing the old. She was lady. brilliant. She was awesome. Yeah. And I haven't seen her since the '80s. So yeah. Well, and I love the whole. Uh, also, the um, Hugh Jackman 
quote unquote cameo at the end because he has Hugh Jackman's face stapled to his face. His face. <laughs> yeah, so so we will say this too for those of you that are listening that, that haven't seen it. Uh, this is not a movie for children. No. A, a, fr- a friend of mine uh, who goes to the conventions with us told Jacob he's like, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't let you see it till you're 21, maybe even 25. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not for children. No. And and. and before I had ever seen it, I heard about people getting offended. They took their kids, and it was rated R, and they were so upset. Yeah, you're an idiot if you took your <laughs> – or if you let them watch this. And right. I told, I texted Shane last night and said, oh, I'm getting ready to watch it. And he goes, oh, how did, how did Daniel like it? I'm like, no, 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 no. He has not watched <laughs> that it. was the joke. I, 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 knew, I knew you weren't going to oh, let the well, kids good. watch Glad it. Glad you so. know I was watching so. No. So, yeah, it was – this is the, yeah, this, this is the so, movie. Yeah, this is the movie that if you were a, a teenager, you yes. would sneak to watch this movie. Yes. Oh yeah, when Dad's out of town, you're at Skinamax on like two a.m. Oh, watching right. Deadpool. Yeah. What what a scream! It, uh, wow. I also that some of the it, there wasn't there wasn't a point in the film that I felt like they didn't think it through. That yeah. was the other thing I enjoyed about like the whole uh, the. The girl from the X Men that was just kind of the brooding yes. kind of goth chick or whatever. Negasonic Nega teenage warhead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they just he goes after her. Yes, in the film they're just like bantering through the whole, and it was just brilliant because one of the things I enjoyed about it it was almost like watching, and no one's going to get this but me. Uh, if you were a fan of the old Dragnet TV show that Jack Webb used to do, mm-hmm. the thing I loved about Dragnet is he fit an hour and a half show into like thirty minutes just by how fast the dialogue went by. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I enjoyed about it is there wasn't a moment of silence in Deadpool yeah. that wasn't filled with a smart gag. Right. It just constantly dig, 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 dig. it was like rapid fire gunshots at you of comedy. Well, and to your point, it was all it was all thought out. You could tell it was yeah. a labor of love. Like yeah, they yeah. didn't have the budget um, you know, that that a lot of these other superhero movies have. Uh, and I know that it was a passion of Ryan Reynolds to create this thing. So it was like you can see that. And, of course, it's going to get a sequel. Of course, it's going to get a bigger budget. I would almost want them to, like, save the extra budget. I think I mentioned this to John, but I know I mentioned it to somebody else. Like, save the extra budget for, like, explosions at the very end or something like that. <laughs> like, say, oh, you're wondering where the extra money went? Here's where it went. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. Here's the question I have is, on the DVD, do they have all the PSAs that they did? That they released as viral oh, videos. I don't know. I have it. I haven't. I'll let you know if it does or not. Um, because that's the, the one thing. Does not. It's just the movie on Netflix. So yeah. But I'm, I'm just saying that's when I, That's why I want to buy the DVDs because those PSAs yeah. were actually really funny. And that was where I was like, God, I don't want to go see this movie. <laughs> don't want to see it, but this is really funny. Like the whole prostate exam thing yes. that he did. That was brilliant. Have and you seen one? The, have you seen the one for the DVD release where it was like the? Um, uh, it was done like a Viagra commercial or no. a Cialis commercial. He's sitting in a bathtub next to somebody else, just like the Cialis commercial. Oh, see? <laughs> and that's the thing, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm going to buy it is, yeah. is because of that. But um, if they're going to have a bigger budget, that's what I want them to do more of. Yes. Just yes. bombard me with every ad should be different. Right. You know? Plus, I loved how they did the, like, they were doing all these promos, and there was, like, Australia Day and stuff like that, and he's talking right. about, you know, you'd think that I would get, a, I, I'd uh, have an affection for Australia. You know, it's a prison <laughs> colony, it's, you do a lot of drinking there, <laughs> and he's like, for some reason, I just, there's there's something about it, and it's, of course, it's all relative to Hugh Jackman being from Australia, and how yeah. 
the old Deadpool got really screwed over in the in the Wolverine movie. So <laughs> it was it was just really surprisingly yeah. good. Now let me ask you this: I don't know if you've had a chance to see it or not. I know we talked about it before um, John and I, and, and that did you get to see Civil War yet at all? No. Okay. I just figured I'd ask to see if you liked it or not. So. No, cool. Well, I'm I'm glad you like Deadpool. That was it was a fantastic movie, and I I have watched it a couple times since seeing it in the theater. Um, and I'll definitely like, to your point, Shannon. I'll definitely watch it quite a few more times. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll admit, uh, if, if they do the sequel, I'll probably chance it and see it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was I was there. Are certain people that don't need my money. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I understand that. We did. We had a great time, and, yeah. and he he didn't want to like it, but by damn, it just sucked us in, and we laughed. Well, again. I think he'll say he laughed because I laughed so much, but there really were there were some just it was tremendous. I I, I was I was trying to catch lines. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I, that's what I had to do. There were two or three lines I picked up yesterday watching it again that I had yeah. not didn't hear before. Of course, I had to keep turning it down because I was laughing too hard. But uh, well, that goes back my to house. You, I just cranked it up and I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. So that goes back to what you were saying though, Shannon. Like they just packed so much in there every oh, single yeah. second yeah. that yeah, you can go back and catch stuff you didn't catch the first, second, or third time. So yeah. awesome. Well, you guys ready to talk some some uh, Joe cartoons? Always. Cause, Why cause not? Because we, we got some doozies here. <laughs> So the five episodes, uh, it's been a while since we've done an animated episode, uh, and so if you're new to the show, uh, the we're going through the old classic Sunbow, G.I. Joe, uh, classic might be a, a stretch, but the Sunbow, G.I. Joe cartoon. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, they're not as good as the dick episodes. Right. <laughs> wow. I'm dreading those when those come up. <laughs> we got a long way to go, though. Um, so basically what I'll be doing is I'll be going through a, a summary, John and Shannon will jump in with anything that they noticed with the episodes, uh, good, bad, or ridiculous. Um, so the episodes that we're covering are going to be Cobra Quake, uh, Captives of Cobra, part one and part two, Bazooka Saw a Sea Serpent, and Excalibur, <laughs> which when I saw the title Bazooka's saw a sea serpent i was very hopeful for that episode because i didn't remember what it was about and uh it didn't disappoint but it also kind of disappointed because i was expecting more bazooka than what i even got (laughs) (laughs) oh tough (laughs) so um that doesn't sound right (laughs) so cobra quake was uh it a little tie into what we were just talking about as far as uh, movies in 1985 all of these episodes came out in the year 1985 so um, Cobra Quake was done by, uh, written by Ted Peterson. So, uh, just going to go through here. And like I said, you guys feel free to stop me at any moment, anything that jumped out at you. So they, uh, the Joes are flying in like a commercial jet, uh, looking thing that says GI Joe right on the side of it. Uh, so of course when you're a top secret organization, <laughs> That's one thing I noticed with these episodes, these five episodes, man, everyone knows who G.I. Joe is. <laughs> They're taking out ads and variety at this point. Right. So uh, Gung Ho actually says to Flynn, I don't mind being shot at. I don't mind emergency landings. I don't even mind crashing, but I hate turbulence. Uh, he grabs his stomach while Flint uh, is in a cockpit of a G.I. Joe passenger plane. Flint radios the Joe base in Tokyo, and Lady J replies, 
that uh, he's flying over Thailand with the delegates of the economic summit and will be landing in time for dinner. However, Cobra is listening, which is, again, the thing that we talked about before the episode started. Cobra has cameras and audio equipment everywhere, evidently, because they just have to turn their monitor on and they can hear and see everything G.I. Joe is doing. Cobra Commander is listening on their conversation and on Lady J's uh, opinion of Cobra. He comments, uh, yes, snakes stay in the grass until they strike. Uh, With the Baroness by his side, he then orders Wild Weasel and the three other Cobra pilots to attack the Joe's plane. Uh, Flint tries to calm Gung-Ho by explaining that planes don't crash because of turbulence. However, Gung-Ho looks out of his window and replies that Flint is right, except that planes do crash when Cobra is on their tail. Uh, Wild Weasel damages the right wing on the Joe's passenger plane and orders Flint to land, but Flint merely comments that shooting at a passenger plane is quite uh, coward, and their unarmed plane is probably the only one Cobra could attack. Uh, with his patience wearing thin, Wild Weasel again threatens Flint and accommodates him by creating a runway with uh, air-to-ground missiles that are launched by other Rattlers in carpet formation. Do you guys notice how the the runway that it made made a perfect rectangular pathway for the plane to land on? Well, when you carpet bomb, that's what happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> Last time I checked, the whole jungle's on fire. <laughs> no. Well, it, you know, it's it's one of those things of it's like speed racer uh, tree cutting blades that come out. You know, oh, yeah. there's never any stumps that he actually has to like run into. <laughs> it cuts him perfectly at ground level. It damages his tires, right? Yeah, he he never has like front edge damage from the. <laughs> it's that same level. Gotcha. Uh, after landing the plane and pulling it to a stop, Flint tells Gung-Ho to get the passengers ready while Cobra ferrets, which are driven by Cobra agents, drive out of the jungle. Uh, and as the ramp on the back of the Joe's plane is lowered to the ground, Thunder drives his slugger out of the plane and attacks the Cobras. Uh, while driving the slugger into battle, Cobra agents aim a gun at Thunder's head. However, Flint drives out of the plane on a silver Mirage motorcycle, grabs the gun... From the Cobra agent who falls yeah, to the ground. <laughs> of course he does. He like launches himself over the ferret and just happens to reach down and grab the gun. <laughs> Which uh, we learned in Krav last week. Did you? I mean, yes. Okay. The I, hard part is, is the 40-yard leap. <laughs> Imagine so. From a ramp that's going down. Yes. <laughs> um, he, he's thanked by his teammate. Uh, they... Split up while under fire, but a couple of shots from the slugger stops the Cobra ferrets. Uh, Wild Weasel, who radios Cobra Commander that the plane is is uh, is a trap, uh, attacks the Joe ground forces. But Ace arrives with a squad of Sky Strikers and tells Cobra that the Joes are dealing from uh, from a stacked deck. After shooting down a few Rattlers, the Joes watch Cobra retreat. Listen to Wild Weasel swear revenge, and Ace only tells the top Cobra pilot, anytime, baby, anytime. Um, it's one of the only times we've seen so far that Ace has not crashed a plane. So that's noteworthy. Uh, even though he flies it right between two uh, trees, which must be really tall trees, and the Rattler doesn't follow the same maneuver, he just goes right through them. So, But was that was this uh, after... Return of the Jedi. <laughs> uh, yes, it would be. So. See, that's the thing. Yeah, 
because I love I love watching the cartoons and seeing how much stuff they rip off from Star Wars. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, including all the sound effects. Yeah, <laughs> sound effects, obviously, but it's just you know, after Star Wars, you're like, oh, okay. Because I was watching Wonder Woman the other night, and the bad guy was this alien from another world. Of course, he's got a Darth Vader mask on. Right. <laughs> I'm like, really? Everybody did that, you know, the yep. what, Legion of Doom thing, and yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's like. <laughs> just, I just yeah, it drives me nuts. <laughs> See, I enjoy it. <laughs> I'm like everything goes back to Star Wars. So. Yes. Um, so realizing that Joe's have learned too much of Cobra's methods, the Baroness is then told by Cobra Commander that he has tricks within tricks, and adds that cooperation among nations is dangerous to Cobra. The Baroness explains that the summit will be heavily guarded by the Joes. However, as the two ride along a moving walkway. Cover Commander explains that the Joes will be guarding the wrong place. Airtight, Covergirl, Spirit, Thunder, Clutch, Rakondo, Roadblock, Scarlet, and several generic Joes guard the perimeter of the Economic Summit building. And inside the building, Lady J asks how the delegates who are yelling at one another ever resolve anything. And Flint says they usually don't. They just blow off steam. Did you, uh, know, did you notice, though, that all the delegates were, like, cliches? Yes. <laughs> like... Like, I must be an Arab because I'm dressed like a, a sheik. <laughs> Nobody, uh, yeah. Only only the old, the white guys are wearing suits. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It's it's very, very cliche through the whole thing. So, just to update, Robert has texted back saying, sorry, I got shanghaied into spending time with the wife. <laughs> like, awesome. like, likely story. So, Robert's getting some is what he's telling <laughs> Oh, whoa. <laughs> I'm gonna find. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna find some of that music. <laughs> Put in there. Cue it up. All right, so then we got uh, examining list of Joes and their locations. Uh, Flint, Lady J review their backup teams and find out that Quick Kick, Bazooka, and their trainees in Hikato are available. I don't know about you, but when I heard that Quick Kick and Bazooka were training people, <laughs> I was like, Bazooka? Well, Bazooka's a pivotal character in this whole run, and, and it's... He, yeah, he was almost in like every single episode that we were yes, supposed amazing. to watch for this. Yes, but would you and want I, him training anyone? <laughs> I don't. I don't I, even I, want him on the team. I don't. <laughs> seriously, I mean, when, when I'm watching the episodes, it was kind of like. I, I thought maybe he was there for training. <laughs> like, quick, it could train him. Uh, while the trainees perfect their shooting and hand-to-hand combat, Bazooka tiptoes to a trainee and grabs her shoulder, but she soon flips him onto the ground. Removes her hood, uh, bows, and asks Bazooka-san how she performed. Bazooka gets up from the ground and tells her gruffly that the session is over. Quick Kick hops onto a log near Bazooka and tries to explain that his Western fighting style isn't enough, but Bazooka quickly explains that punching is better than judo. When Bazooka walks away from uh, from his friend, Taiko asks if she has injured Bazooka, but Quick Kick explains that 
he simply gave him a bump in the pride. And then I think she's like, where is the pride? Because, of course, she has to be stereotyped as an Asian woman and have a heavy, heavy accent in every, and not understand English completely. Even though she speaks everything else. Right. <laughs> exactly. She understands everything he says, but you don't know what pride is. Right. Yeah. Uh, was she supposed to be a, a fill-in for Jinx? I mean, what was the... I, I don't... Well, Jinx wasn't even really a concept at this point, I don't think. She, she hadn't been... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the only, my only thought was... With this episode, I thought, and I even thought this, I remember thinking this as a kid, I was like, oh, is this going to be like a love interest for Bazooka? Because it seemed like there was a connection between the two, and then they kind of never did anything with it. So, And the way these cartoons have been going, I figured that she was going to be the next Joe, you know, because all you had to do is show up on an episode, next thing you know, you're part of the team. (laughs) So... I mean, that's how Quick Kick got on the team. He showed up in an episode in the snow in bare feet and just was like, they were like, like right. I do. Right. And they were like, hey, here's our new Joe member, Quick Kick. Frostbite. Um, <laughs> that's a different Joe. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> so Quick Kick welcomes the trainees to Masterpiece Bomb Theater and explains Ugh. that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a horrible gag. It was. Did you notice how the chalk outline disappeared? After the and, gag was over. <laughs> but did you notice how fast it went by, too? Yes. <laughs> it's, he steps into the thing in like two, in like half a second, and it's gone. Right. Like, you have to be looking for that reference in order to even get it. <laughs> and be over the age of 40 in 1980. <laughs> 85, yeah. Yeah. Um, he explains that Bazooka must disarm the bomb or they will all die. After cutting the yellow and red wire, Bazooka pauses and ponders what colored wire he should cut next, even though there's only one left. Uh, Quick Kick points out that there's only one wire left, but Bazooka cuts it too late, and a small sign pops up and uh, has one word bang on it. Uh, Suddenly, an earthquake begins to rock the island. Bazooka falls into an opening uh, in the earth. Trees smash huts, and large boulders crash down from the mountains. The trainees flip and dive out of the way of the boulders and survive the earthquake. Although, I could be wrong. I tried to go back, and it, it's hard to tell. The first two boulders with the first two trainees look like the boulders smashed them. And then Quick Kicks, like, orders them to dodge them. And then everyone else dodges boulders after that. But the, Yeah, you don't think of that until somebody says something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like did, that, you know, did you notice all the boulders are, like, perfectly round? Oh, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? Easier to draw. <laughs> yeah. Easier to roll down the hill. (laughs) Um, Takeo reports to Quick Kick that everyone survived but Bazooka. And Quick Kick kneels near the crack in the earth and explains that Bazooka uh, was no bomb expert but was a good man. He was no bomb expert, but you had him training everyone on how to to disarm him. Yeah, qualified. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A voice within the earth shouts, uh, throw some rope. Uh, and Bazooka climbs out of the earth and wonders if he should cut the green, should, should cut the green, then red wires first. Uh, Quick Kick laughs and tells his friend that he can figure it out later and that they need to travel to Tokyo base. Uh, Cobra Commander explains to the Baroness that the destruction of the training camp means nothing to him and that the next target is Tokyo. However, he asks the Baroness for some information uh, climbing into a fang, the Baroness simply says, leave that to me, and she flies away. Uh, Lady J tells Flint that the earthquake at the training base measured an 
uh, on the Richter scale, but Flint is still confused why an earthquake wreck uh, would wreck the area since there's no active fault uh, fault lines nearby. Lady J explains that Bazooka thought he he heard an explosion before the earthquake. And Flint and Lady J come to the conclusion that since Japanese scientists are trying to prevent the earthquake, uh, prevent earthquakes with precise timed explosions, Cobra may have found a way to create earthquakes. Um, this this next segment was interesting. Uh, so Lady J and Bazooka drive to a Shinto shrine to meet uh, Japan's most knowledgeable seismologist, uh, Dr. Morita. Who apparently doesn't have a lamp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if this was a nod to Pat Morita for the Karate Kid. Maybe. So, oh. Uh, and after they remove their shoes and walk inside, which that was interesting too. They, so they remove their shoes, but then they put slippers on. Well, that's what they do. Is that what they do? I don't know. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Okay. Have slippers. Okay. I just thought you weren't allowed to have shoes. No, 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 no. It's a, because you've been walking around outside. Okay. Stuff collecting up the bottom of your feet, so you have house slippers. Fair enough. Now you know. Now and knowing now. <laughs> and after they remove their shoes and walk inside, two men in blue robes grab Dr. Morita and carry him away. The Joes chase them up an incredibly large number of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so, suddenly it's like uh, what was it? Uh, spirited away in the castle. Yeah, it was like an M.C. Escher thing. All yeah. Of a sudden. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Tart- they were TARDIS technology. The Japanese were, are invented. Yeah, they were way ahead of them, <laughs> and they're dragging somebody. Yes. <laughs> so the Joes chase them up uh, up the stairs and learn that they have chased Storm Shadow, which I don't know how they knew it was Storm Shadow because everyone was dressed as Storm Shadow. <laughs> yeah, what, did, did I miss something there? Is there like a secret Storm Shadow clone group or <laughs> no? <laughs> I was watching this going, how did they know it's Storm Shadow? Any of these guys could just talk in that, like, whispery voice and be Storm Shadow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, he's the one with this tiny head. Did you notice that? Like, in a lot of scenes, Storm Shadow's no. head is, like, way too small for his body. I did not notice that. Yeah. Uh, more of Storm Shadow's students appear, and the Joes fight back while Storm Shadow turns his back to the Joes and tells the students that the Joes are not worthy of his efforts. Uh, the Joes are pushed over the railings and tumbled down into a pond, which I don't know if you noticed this, but Bazooka hit his head on the awning on the way down. No, wouldn't <laughs> affect anything. I was going to say, it, it was a perfect way for him to land. <laughs> uh, the Joes, so uh, as Cobra Ninjas rush towards the Joes, a silver mirage, which, by the way, had no driver on it, <laughs> flies towards them and screeches to a halt. <laughs> Quick Kick arrives, and Bazooka, who smashes two Cobra agents' uh, faces together, tells his teammates uh, that he is late. Explaining rush hour traffic made him late, Quick Kick lands a foot into Storm Shadow's chest, and the two exchange blows. However, Storm Shadow jumps over a wall while noting that Quick Kick's fault over confidence has allowed him to escape. Uh, Lady J orders Quick Kick and Bazooka to follow Storm Shadow, and the two Joes follow him in, uh, to a Japanese puppet theater. While on a stage, the Joes are attacked by puppets. However, they, are, they knock them away, and Quick Kick yells that Storm Shadow will have to try harder, but it's actually Scrap Iron that replies that the Cobra Ninja has stepped out and activates a trap door, which they fall through. And Scrap Iron drops a bomb, uh, which is dressed like a, one of the puppets, uh, and adds that his friend is a dynamite guy. Ha, 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 ha. 
Ah, no. <laughs> Telling Bazooka that... And I love... It was a running theme through this whole episode. Every time there was a bomb, Bazooka just wanted... Of any detonation type, he wanted to disarm it. <laughs> so He's got to prove something. Right. <laughs> uh... Telling Bazooka that Joe's will Joe will only disarm the bomb over his his dead body. Quick kick directs his friend to a weight and pulley system that lifts them up. Now, this whole sequence was like uh, again. I, the name escapes me. What's the whole thing where it's like uh, one thing causes another thing to happen, causes another thing to happen to Rube Goldberg? Yes, that's what I was Rube looking Goldberg for. Mission. Yeah. So that's what this whole scene seemed like because they come out of the tr- out of the uh, trap in the ground, go up, and then they dive out the window, and then they fall out the window into a, a, a truck, a passing yeah. truck that has vegetables in it. Yeah, because you always land on something soft. Right. Um, and Quick Kick asks uh, if he uh, or Bazooka asks Quick Kick if he'd like a banana. Uh, Lady J, which, around- which was an innuendo. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> you think you think Bazooka swings that way? Hey, you know, he might. Saying he might. There's there's only one reason they'd want to keep him on the team. Because <laughs> he can't disarm bombs. <laughs> He's not good at hand to hand combat. <laughs> he falls on his head. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lady J arrives at Doctor Marita's house and radios Flint to re- uh, report that the place is in shambles. However, she has found a map that may help the Joes. But before Lady J can return to the Joes' base, the Baroness stands at the doorway and tells Lady J that she is not in a lending uh, library and then signals the Cobra Ninjas to drop a net onto Lady J, who struggles to get out but is told that the net will only become tighter each time she moves. Uh, Activating the homing beacon on her boot, Lady J signals... uh, Signal is picked up by Flint, who orders Quick Kick and Bazooka to take Taiko on a rescue mission to free Lady J. Uh, the three rescuers arrive at Cobra Base on a raft, and Bazooka stops to disarm a mine. Uh, however, Quick Kick tells his teammate to leave the mine alone. Uh, stuttering in agreement, Bazooka and his teammate continue to rush to Lady J's rescue. Quick Kick clasps his hands together and helps push uh, Taiko to the top of the wall so that she can latch a hook and a rope to the wall and allow the Joes to climb up. The thing I found interesting with this is we had just left Bazooka and Quick Kick in that truck, and next thing we know, they're standing at base, ready to leave for another mission. What was an Uber? (laughs) I thought maybe they got a hold of some of that Cobra space-time movement stuff, so... I don't know. Inside a uh, inside a snake and uh, skeleton populated cell, Lady J and Doctor Marita are told by Cobra Commander and the Baroness that when the bombs uh, flood Tokyo, they will will outlive their friends by roughly two minutes. Since the island uh, the cell will also uh, the cell that the uh, the island that the cell is on will also be destroyed. Uh, quick kick! Isn't that Japan? Yeah. <laughs> right. So the entire nation of Japan is going to sink. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Making sure. <laughs> These are really carefully placed bombs. All three of them. <laughs> and really well thought out plots. <laughs> well, and I also love the the snakes that were released and everything else because it's like, oh, they're very venomous, and I'm like, and they're coming towards them. I'm like, they already have a bunch of them wrapped around their legs. And everything. I was like, they're probably they would have died at this point. So would it really matter? 
if a big wave was about to kill him too? That's the least of your problems. Keep going. <laughs> Quick kick, and his entourage arrive. However, Cobra Commander pulls a lever, and snakes drop out of uh, baskets and onto the floor. Cobra Commander and Baroness leave the room via a rotating wall, because he always has a rotating wall. Who doesn't? <laughs> I would like to have one. That would be pretty cool. Um, and Quick Kick swings out of the room to grab a fire extinguisher in order to freeze the snakes. <laughs> You got a problem with the fire extinguisher thing? I'm just saying things don't work the way you think they do. <laughs> fire what? extinguishers don't blow ice. <laughs> no, right? Pretty sure they'd piss the snakes off more. <laughs> but I'm just, it's like, okay, I watched the blob recently and the, oh yeah, the chemical makes it, no, it, it doesn't blow chunks of ice around snakes, man. That's not <laughs> how it works. So, at the Tokyo base, Flint tells the Joes that Dr. Morita supplied the locations of the bombs and that they will split up and disarm the bombs. Uh, Quick Kick and Gung Ho visit the Great Buddha in Calcutta. Bazooka and Taiko visit a shrine, and Flint and Lady J dig in the ground near Mount Fuji. It's not Calcutta. (laughs) Calcutta's in India, isn't it? Well, that's what they wrote here. I don't know. (laughs) No, I think it's Kamakura. Well, they they wrote it wrong for me to okay. read. So. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, they have spelled slight here. geography issues. Yeah, they Kamakura, have. he's one of the Joes, yes, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. No, but Kamakura is an, an area. Did you ever see what was it? Uh, Rojin Z. It was an anime, and it was about this like no, robot. I didn't see, oh, no, okay. I didn't see Rojin Z. <laughs> I'm just saying. Come on. The whole you point in that film is the guy wants to go Kamakura. I want to go to Kamakura. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what they have written here. All right, I'm sorry. I'm just saying from JoeGuide.com, they have C-A-L-C-U-T-T-A. That's Calcutta. Yeah, that's Calcutta. Yeah. <laughs> that's not where they... Okay, never mind. I'm just going by what they had I'm here. Just, I'm just saying that's in another country. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> okay. um, they, they, they might as well go to Cleveland. Just say Cleveland. <laughs> just say Cleveland. So they went to the Great Buddha in Cleveland. <laughs> yes. That makes more sense to me. Oh. <laughs> uh, after Flint finds the first bomb in the ground, which that cracked me up because there's a little moment there where Lady J like like laughs at Flint for digging or something. Like it's a split second there where she puts her hand up to her mouth and looks like she's laughing because Flint's the one that has to dig. Um, this is man's work. <laughs> quick kick nearly drops the bomb, uh, but it's caught by gung ho. Uh, which that one, I love how well that one's hidden. <laughs> Yeah, right? it's just a necklace. Like, when did our giant Buddha statue get a necklace? <laughs> that has a Cobra signal symbol on it. It looks like a briefcase. So, uh, with w- with one minute left, Bazooka radios the Joes to cut the red and then the blue wires. However, he's stumped as to whether the black or the yellow wire is next. Finally, he decides on the black wire. All the Joes but Bazooka cut the black uh, and yellow wires. Uh, Bazooka and Taiko are forced to dive for cover while under fire from Scrap Iron's Fang helicopter. Uh, the shrine, which is quickly burning to the ground, begins to collapse around Bazooka and Taiko. And wasn't there only like 10 seconds left at this point? On yeah. The... So what, you're expecting time to act <laughs> I was normal? Expecting, I was expecting it to actually work like... That's like a classic thing. It's like, oh, there's only three seconds left and then for the next 30 minutes they're doing... <laughs> right. Um, before the bomb explodes, Taiko flings a throwing star that she was keeping in her brazier, evidently, uh, and slices. Keep yours. <laughs> I don't have a brazier. I probably should, but. Mm. 
Uh, Bazooka happily grabs and compliments Taiko, who laughs because she has finally been able to make Bazooka say something nice. Uh, aww. aww. They rush to the Silver Mirage motorcycles and try to escape uh, Scrap Iron. However, Taiko's bike is destroyed moments after she leaps off of it, uh, like you do. Uh, Bazooka picks her. She thanks him for saving her. And Scrap Iron chases the two while uh, promising to make their deaths as painful as possible. But Bazooka drives his bike up a ramp and uh, crashes it into the fang. Uh, Bazooka turns to Taiko, holds out thumbs up sign, and asks partners. Taiko returns the gesture and replies gladly, partners. Uh, so she, she doesn't understand pride, but she knows American gestures. So. Right, thumbs up, yeah. 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 <laughs> Inside the house, the Joes and Taiko kneel at a table and raise their drinks to a successful mission. Bazooka looks at his plate with small octopus, uh, octopi, is octopi? Yes. Uh, octopi. And uh, tells Taiko, who explains that the meal is a delicacy. Uh, Bazooka says, fooey hamburgers are better. Taiko's uh, face uh, scrunches up in disgust as the, at the mentioning of hamburger. And Lady J comments that some cultural gaps can't be bridged. Uh, Flint asks if... <laughs> Because their yeah, there's not a single it. McDonald's in Japan. <laughs> Flint doesn't want to eat his food. Gung Ho says, "Wait till it's inside your stomach." And uh, yeah, and uh, Lady J points out that we don't want to uh, uh, insult their hosts. So <laughs> there, there's McDonald's in Japan. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Yes, I'm kidding you. <laughs> so that's that episode. <laughs> What a good one it was. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> John? I need to keep moving along. Yeah, John, you were kind of quiet. Did, no. you, did you enjoy that one? <laughs> I have some notes here, but yeah, we did, I didn't miss much. You didn't miss much? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Captives of Cobra Part 1. and this, uh, Part 1 and Part 2 were written by Christy Marks, uh, which is known for Gem. And also has done a lot of comic work in recent times. So. so on top of a rocky hill, a Cobra agent enters a wooden cabin and delivers a small canister to a Cobra technician. The liquid from the canister is added to the beaker, but the instruments monitoring the dangerous reactions of the chemicals begin to flash wildly. The chemicals begin to produce wild flashes of lights, and then the chemicals erupt and blow the cabin to pieces. Uh, debris is scattered, and the explosion is so strong that a gigantic rock begins to slide down the hill toward a town. Uh, but just as it's about to crush the town and the people, it stops at the edge of a cliff. This rock was enormous. <laughs> and and I swear to God, it looked like a giant potato. <laughs> yes, it did. Did it not? And yes, what, it what kills me is this town, like, it's obviously been there for thousands of years, and they still decided to build this town at the bottom of a hill below this thing that's, like precariously perched on top of a mountain. Evidently could slide down at a moment. At any moment, yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming this is set in California, right? Yeah, it was, is that where you is that really where you want to put your house? <laughs> it, uh, evidently, I mean, they make mistakes like that all the time. They're like, "Hey, let's put it right." I mean, there is a place called Tornado Alley and people still keep building their houses. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I don't build it at the bottom of a wily e. coyote skid. I mean, it's <laughs> I, I was just impressed at how big this rock was. It was massive. <laughs> it was large. 
So just as Gung Ho is about to leave the base for a vacation on board Wild Weasel's Dragonfly, Duke calls him uh, back inside. Which, by the way, when I saw the title of this episode, I forgot. Again, I just don't remember what these episodes are by the titles. Um, when I saw it was Captives of Cobra, I thought for sure this was like an all Duke episode where it was Duke getting captured a lot. <laughs> So while the Joes look at a uh, view screen, Duke informs Gung Ho about the town's evacuation. And as they examine the remains of the Cobra base, uh, Gung Ho chimes in, a lot of nerve, huh? And uh, Lady J then shows Gung Ho a batch of crystals, which are rapidly growing from the center of the blast point. Uh, Duke tells Lady J to place those uh, up to place those Joes who are on leave on emergency standby, then uh, leaves with Gung Ho. Uh, as the army buses uh, away the town citizens and the army engineers build supports around the giant boulder, which was just comical to even see. Uh, the G.I. Joe dragonflies land behind the large rock in order to examine the crystals. Duke, Alpine, Gung-Ho, Wild Bill, and Tripwire jump out of their helicopters and cross a large gap uh, in the ground thanks to... Damn, this is when Robert should be here. Tollbooth! <laughs> The bridge layer. Uh, the Joes walk across the bridge, and Tripwire notices a chiming sound from the crystals. He then slips on a rock and falls towards the crystal patch. Uh, fortunately, Duke grabs Tripwire's backpack and stops him from falling into the crystals and asks Tripwire what uh, could have created them. Tripwire picks up a small crystal and begins to play catch with the rock with one hand. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't eventually become known as Stumpy after this. As he considers nuclear and TNT as the origins of the crystal, Tripwire throws the small crystal over his shoulder and the rock explodes with such great force that the giant boulder crushes the structural supports and begins to roll forward. But the boulder stops and does not crush the town just yet. Uh, Tripwire... (laughs) You were hoping for that, weren't you? Well, I was. (laughs) Tripwire stands in awe since Cobra has appeared to be working on creating... I can't even pronounce what the hell they call this thing. Piezoelectric crystals, piezoelectric crystals, mm-hmm. uh, but has instead created something completely new. Uh, Duke orders the Joes uh, back across the bridge and then orders a zone of silence to be set up around the crystals since the slightest impact will cause them to detonate. Uh, Alpine points out that the crystals are growing and Duke adds that they need to move the crystals to a safety uh, crystal to safety since Cobra will probably not let them, uh, the new explosives slip through their fingers. Um, inside a Cobra base, the Baroness orders a televiper to contact Cobra commander and she informs Cobra's leader that she has a plan. Baroness says, uh, tell me Cobra commander, uh, who in all the world would you never let come to harm? And Cobra commander says, me. <laughs> <laughs> and she points out that the Joe's identities are top secret. And if she can find out the Joe's real names, uh, she explains she will merely tap into the Pentagon's computers, which is so easy to do, evidently. It is according to this cartoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> a small computer cart drives towards a guard who chuckles and affectionately tells the little fellow that the cart <laughs> is lost. But the cart is, again, I totally thought of Star Wars with this, with the little oh, monster yeah. droid. <laughs> that was completely that. That or the uh, Wonder Woman. What was the little like, psh, psh, the little guy that would run around? And oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name, but yeah, yeah. 
Um, but the card extends a hose, a small hose, and gasses the guard and causes him to collapse to the ground. Storm Shadow climbs out of the cart, slips the uh, pass key out of the guard's pocket, and enters the control room. The operator. Okay. Yes. Here, here's the thing on that though. Do you notice that in that episode when Co- uh, Storm Shadow comes out of the thing, the doors that say "Top Secret," right? <laughs> There's obviously a split in the middle of the door, so it's supposed to do the Star Trek kind of like slide apart thing. Right. But when he goes into the room, the whole door slides. Yes. So what the hell is there split in the middle of the door, and why is the type all offset and and <laughs> the kerning all fucked up? If the do- the whole damn door is gonna slide. <laughs> It's like, no, I don't want to animate two doors moving. <laughs> we They were on a tight deadline. and to do It's always t- that kind of crap. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. To do two doors just would have been taking up too much time. They're like, hey, yeah. just one door. Yeah, Sl- just slide it. Slide it. <laughs> it's like a pop-up book all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, the operator sounds inside sounds the alarm before uh, Storm Shadow destroys the panel and knocks him out with a kick to the face, which he destroyed the panel. I don't know how he got any data out of it. Yes. <laughs> After slipping a floppy disk into the disk drive, Storm Shadow attacks several guards as the information is copied to the disk, but a failsafe is initiated after information of about seven Joes. Uh, Spirit, Thunder, Scarlet, Quick Kick, Shipwreck, Barbecue, and Gung Ho is copied to the disk. Evidently, the failsafe was a little too slow. (laughs) It's computers, man. Right. Um, As Tripwire and Gung Ho work at slicing the crystals with a laser and placing the chunks in uh, padded boxes on a blanket, Duke informs Dusty that he will have his crystal for testing soon, then radios Lady J to signal the Joes on leave to return to base. Uh, As Cobra Commander learns that Quick Kick's real name is MacArthur S. Ito, uh, Quick Kick helps his parents by moving some boxes in their grocery store, which is located in the Watts area of Los Angeles. Uh, Miss Jackson, a uh, regular customer at the Edo store, runs into Quick Kick, and I was so expecting her to be like one of the Cobra agents, mm. just because her accent and everything else made me think that she was really undercover. She uh, runs into Quick Kick, calls him... Uh, uh, Mac while pinching his cheek and remembering out loud when Quick Kick was just a scrawny kid. Quick Kick sets down the boxes, accepts a drink from his father, who refers uh, to it as Pop, or refers to him as Pop, and tells his father they will join him for the game. However, Quick Kick's beeper beeps and he kisses his mother and explains that he has to leave, uh, which I got the impression that they didn't know what he did. Like, because he kind of made this excuse that it was probably his. Um, his agent. Did you guys get that oh. impression also? Even though everyone knows who G.I. Joe is in this world, I got the impression that his parents didn't know that he was part of G.I. Joe. I'm just surprised how many parents and family members in this episode know martial arts. <laughs> right? Like They own a grocery store, man. Right. But at the same time, Quick Kick knows martial arts. I don't know if he could have been trained by his parents. I can make at least that bit of connection compared to some of the other ones. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's like everybody's a ninja. Right. That's true. So uh, Tomax and Zaymot enter <laughs> enter, and they uh, take the his father and mother hostage. Wasn't it also like it was uh, the father hits one of them and the other one gets cramped, like gets yeah, a, his, hits a, his hand and the other one. Yeah. Yeah. 
flails back, and it's, they are the most ineffective fighting force that Cobra could ever. All you got to do is put one of them in a headlock and keep popping them in the face. <laughs> right. So you're taking two of them down with half the effort. Right. Exactly. It's not very effective. So then we have uh, Shanna O'Hara, which is Scarlet, enters the O'Hara Martial Arts Dojo in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, because that's... But did you notice Did you notice on the screen where they find out her name? They spell Scarlet wrong. Yes. They did. It's Scarlet. Yeah, but they for, they left out the L. Yes. <laughs> Scarlet. I had that down here, too. Scarlet. 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 <laughs> uh, she spars with her... I wonder, if it, I wonder if that's just how the animators in, in Japan pronounce it. Got right. <laughs> wow. I'm just saying. But, Obviously but, nobody checked. But the so. but the joke but the Joe cartoon is the one that goes with the cliches and the <laughs> So she's fighting her brothers and father while they are wearing masks, uh, and they did it to hide disguise their identity so they could uh, so she wouldn't be able to know their fighting styles as part of a brief sparring with them. Uh, her beeper goes off and she grabs her bag and leaves. Her family waves goodbye and wishes for her to return quickly. Suddenly, the four O'Haras are uh, surrounded by uh, Crimson Guards and Storm Shadow. And uh, Storm Shadow says, uh, with no retreat, no surrender, uh, or sorry, uh, the O'Haras are no retreat, no surrender, and successfully beat back the Cobra agents, but Patrick gives in only after he sees all of his sons have been defeated by Storm Shadow. Okay, I got two questions. Yes. Why did the dad look like Josh Brolin? <laughs> right? And secondly, like, what kind of visit is that? Scarlet says, hey, I just came in to fight everybody. See you later. <laughs> you couldn't send a card. You couldn't make a phone call. Well, in what family, when you walk in to see your family, it all of a sudden attacks you? <laughs> have you met mine? <laughs> no. Um, I, I get attacked by Jacob and Daniel every time I go to see John. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Uncle Shannon, whack. <laughs> yeah, but you train for that. Yeah, but I'm not expecting to be attacked by a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> you should always be ready to be attacked by a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> well, especially the ones that are supposed to like me. <laughs> They're attacking you out of love. Right. Yeah, apparently. It's a Joe thing. I don't get it. Right. And uh, then probably the the uh, family that least needed to be even in this episode, we go to Thunder's parents, uh, which is located in Louisville, Kentucky. That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> but come I on. Should have more, I should have more affection for, for Thunder because he's from Louisville, for crying out loud. You should, but you got to admit that this whole family could have not been in this entire episode. Oh, well, sure. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> So uh, Chrissy is sunbathing uh, with a teens magazine and listening to her Walkman. Uh, the father's working on the car engine, and the mother is uh, cooking stuff. Uh, Thunder gets a, a signal, and he goes to leave, uh, and the whole family gets abducted by a bunch of Crimson Guards. Uh, and the father's... Yeah, but, but what was he yeah. doing? What's that? What was Thunder doing before he had to leave? Oh, he's playing on his drums. Yeah, like, oh, okay, again, I'm just going to show up and play some drums, Dad. Talk to you later. <laughs> While you're working on the car. Yeah, this not isn't going to disrupt you at all. I'm not going to help you at all. And the thing was, was he even playing them? At least I never heard them. <laughs> oh, I didn't Well, that know. was his secondary mission, as, uh, you know, MOS in this, on his file card was was music. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, wasn't. So. Good to so know. why was he a drummer, then? 
Oh. 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 Wow. You need a drummer for that joke. Uh, so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Keep going. As Shipwreck walks uh, towards a, a house with his fishing pole, his nephew Jesse uh, walks suddenly out of the house. Shipwreck, Shipwreck's aunt walks out of her uh, her and her husband's home and explains that she thought Jesse was old enough to know that he was adopted. Hector, uh, Hector X Delgado, um, also known as Shipwreck, promises to talk to Jesse on a small pier near San Diego, California. Shipwreck tells Jesse a secret. Shipwreck was also adopted. <laughs> Did this, like, I needed the full house music, like the life lesson music, to also play in the background when he's explaining that he was also adopted. Well, I'm also trying to figure out why Jesse had his fishing pole crammed into his crotch. <laughs> Didn't when you go back, go back and look at the shot where they're sitting on the pier. He is totally just having like the first shot. It's just as if he's just holding his junk. <laughs> and why does why does every teenage boy on GI Joe look exactly the same? Oh, they do. Like Jesse is the quintessential one for every PSA. Yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. All they do is change hair color and, and clothes. Right. Um, Shipwreck adds that they are lucky to have folks who love them as much as their parents would, and maybe even more. Uh, but just as Jesse is beginning to shake his doldrum, Shipwreck's beeper beeps, and the Joe rushes off, uh, explaining that he has to leave. Jesse promises to take care of Shipwreck's fishing gear, and Shipwreck thanks him as he runs away. The line on Jesse's fishing pole begins to tug, and he yells to his uncle that he has a bite. Uh, Crimson Guard pulls Jesse off the pier and then speeds away on a boat with another Cobra agent. That they did not see approach in, no. in eight point. Yeah. No, not at all. I think it was hiding under the pier that they, right. that they didn't see at all. <laughs> He's a top secret right. agent. Right. Okay. Right. Never mind. That everyone knows about except for their families. Again, this was another one where I felt like the family didn't know that he was in G.I. Joe. So. <laughs> Even though is, is he just in a band? Why is he dressed up like a gay sailor? <laughs> is, he, is he with the is he with the uh, village people? I'm not quite sure. I did that gag. <laughs> yes, you did. So Spirit's cousin Vina runs to Spirit, and she explains that she can't believe that Uncle Charlie, uh, which we find out that Spirit's name is Charlie Iron Knife, uh, was able to. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay. It's a goofy name. It is, but that's his name. That's his. That's your character. That's your boy. It is, and I've got a lot of problems with this one. That's all right. (laughs) Um, So he was able to attend uh, her ceremony to womanhood in in Taos, New Mexico, (laughs) with his grandfather. Spirit compliments her beauty, and just as the ceremony is about to begin, the beeper on Spirit's belt. Uh, chirps, and his grandfather is not pleased that he would dishonor his cousin by leaving, but Spirit's cousin tells Spirit to go with her blessing. Spirit tells her that already she is a woman. After he... (laughs) I don't know how the ceremony goes. Did he deflower her cactus? (laughs) Wow. I I think we also need to point out that with the beeper that I believe it was the old man says the white man calls. Yes. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Diversity. Okay, so. (laughs) 
Uh, after he leaves, Crimson Guards on Cobra Ferrets race across the land, scatter the attendees with laser blasts. This is what you were, we were talking about before the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. About riding around. <laughs> Jacob, yeah, Jacob and Daniel running around on Barbies. <laughs> Shooting at stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they kidnap Vina as well as Spirit's grandfather. All right. So then we get to Barbecue. Uh, while visiting his father and mother in Boston, Massachusetts, Gabriel A. Kelly visits his father's fire station and is introduced to several of his father's co-workers. However, the alarm sounds and the firemen climb aboard the fire truck and speed down the streets to the latest inferno in the city. And his lips are wrapped around a Coke bottle. <laughs> they are. Yep. Uh, with his reserve status activated, Barbecue enters the burning building with his father only to watch debris collapse onto his father while inside. One of the firemen uh, pulls Barbecue out of the building and explains that the firemen entering the building will rescue his father. But then Barbecue's beeper uh, rings and he pulls it out of a pocket, uh, pushes the blinking light in and tucks it back into the pocket while yelling, no, not now. Uh, As Barbecue's father is placed in a van with two Crimson Guard, a man with the word chief written on his helmet explains to Barbecue the father is fine and is being transported to a hospital for routine examination. Barbecue shakes the chief's hand and it takes off after one of his father's co-workers promising, promises to explain everything about why Barbecue had to leave. Meanwhile, the fire chief runs down an alley, climbs into a truck, and rips off his mask, which See, ends I don't, up I don't remember that part in Backdraft. <laughs> Because that's what that whole sequence reminded me of. It reminded me of Backdraft. Yeah, I could see that. I also was not expecting it to be the Baroness. I was expecting it to be Zartan for some reason. Oh, um, see, that would have made more sense. Yeah. Had awfully manly voice for being the Baroness. <laughs> and also, uh, they noted on in the notes here that uh, Co- the Cobra license plate number was 888. Yeah. I don't know what, it, what significance that is or if it, it had... It's- just a little bit worse than 666. Okay. <laughs> too, too worse, in fact. <laughs> yes. This one goes to 11. <laughs> exactly. Going back, circling back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alpine Tripwire and Gung Ho continue to slice the crystals and wait for the all-terrain vehicles, which I don't know how they figured out that slicing it with a laser was okay. Wouldn't... Yeah, they never explained that, did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> don't touch them, but we can cut them in half. <laughs> right with a laser, <laughs> and then and then nobody's no nobody points out the fact like um they're individually growing now so we basically made the problem worse <laughs> right well and also I'm, I was thinking with it, them cutting with a laser lasers through crystal doesn't it just disperse it so wouldn't it just be shattering all of them <laughs> fair point <laughs> um, crystal's a prism bitch exactly <laughs> good call science <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, keep keep moving on to the hair dryer scene. <laughs> so they arrive at the crystal uh, and can be carried away. And uh, Duke radios Dusty and Footloose to see how their experiment is progressing. Footloose places a crystal block on a mechanism with a hammer uh, cocked over the crystal, uh, runs the to an awe striker with the engine already running, and quickly drives away before the hammer strikes the crystal. After 10 seconds, the hammer slams down and the crystal completely destroys itself in a loud and powerful explosion. Uh, the Baroness orders Dr. Marks uh, to 
begin the brainwashing process, which I would assume that's Christy Marks putting her own name into the episode. Uh, so, as you do, as you do, right? Uh, however, the Cobra scientist is not sure if the process will work, since the only test subjects were weak-willed Cobra soldiers. <laughs> Wouldn't you love hearing that if you were standing around as a Cobra soldier? <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> Uh, the Baroness orders Thunder's sister, Chrissy, to be the first to be subject, uh, subjugated. And as Chrissy is strapped in the chair, Patrick O'Hara asks if brainwashing kids is the best Cobra can do. Because all of a sudden they all know who Cobra is and, and, and have G.I. Joe. Morals, suddenly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the Baroness spins around, points at Scarlet's father, and tells him that he is next. A buzzing energy passes around Chrissy's head. And when her eyes become blank and red-rimmed, the Baroness asks who she serves, and Thunder's sister replies that she serves Cobra. Dun, dun, dun. And that's how you always tell if their brainwashes look for red eyes that glow. And, and then you, you know that the person you're dealing with is, is brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> As Scarlet and the other uh, recall Joes uh, load the crystals onto the ATV, uh, which didn't the ATV that that huge vehicle look like a a large version version of the Havoc? A little bit. Because they have. But I, I also like that the wheels don't actually turn; they just bounce. <laughs> Again, the sliding door effect. They they have to draw the wheels moving. Yes, that would require an effort. <laughs> uh, Doctor Marx is extremely difficult to. Uh, finds it extremely difficult to place Spirit's grandfather under Cobra's control. So he places two augmenters, which are small discs on the American Indian's temples. And uh, his... That look a lot like giant bottle caps. They do. (laughs) Glowing giant bottle caps. (laughs) Uh, Duke drives the ATV down the rocky hillside, and Scarlet leads barbecue, shipwreck, thunder, and quick kick in Silver Mirage motorcycles. Uh, spying a blind curve on the road, Scarlet and the others decide to ride ahead and see if Cobra has selected the area for an ambush. Seeing 13 people in silver suits with a uh, red Cobra emblem, she radios Duke that there are only 13 agents, but Shipwreck climbs off his bike and shouts no several times in disbelief as soon as he sees Jesse. So, suddenly the other Joes on the bike see their family members, and Scarlet is so stunned that she can't explain to Duke what has happened as he drives up in the ATV with Lady J. <gasps> and then it's to be continued. So next time on Star Joes, <laughs> we'll continue the episode. So, yeah, I don't know. How, like, they are so ready to shoot people right away, like the Joes are, like that are Cobra agents. I'm surprised they just didn't shoot. There's Oh, there's only 13. Let's shoot them now. <laughs> Take them all out. <laughs> Especially the short one. <laughs> so, Cobra Captain, yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. What no, did you say? nothing. <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> Jesus. But you said, no, uh, Jesus. <laughs> so, Cap- Captives of Cobra Part 2. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, as the family members of Quick Kick, Scarlet, Shipwreck, Barbecue, Spirit, and Thunder stand in the road, Scarlet tells Duke about Cobra's use of their family members as soldiers. Duke asks if she can stop Cobra, and, uh, and as she tells Duke that their families won't shoot at them, the Baroness, who is flying Cobra's helicarrier, 
with Tomax and Zamot, watches uh, Scarlet on a monitor and tells her, that's what you think, dearie. Scarlet climbs off her Silver Mirage motorcycle and asks her brothers and father to put down their guns as the other Joes begin to ask the same of their loved ones, the Baroness orders. The Baroness orders Dr. Marks to increase the mind control power. The Cobra Doctor raises the level to the max load level. 21.1. <laughs> he raises it to 11. <laughs> and the once struggling family members are completely under Cobra's control. Just as Jesse is about to shoot Shipwreck, quick kick tackles Shipwreck to the ground to prevent his teammate from being shot. Why wouldn't you just program this shoot the other member? Like, okay... Scarlet's dad, you shoot shipwreck. Right. You know, because so they, no they don't know that person. What do they care? Right. So you wouldn't have to up the amperage or whatever at all. Yeah. And by the time you would realize what was going on, it's too late. They're all dead. Too late. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm playing on that, logic. Too. <laughs> that's why if we were Cobra, we would win. It's <laughs> true. Uh, the Joes retreat as their families shoot at them. Uh, and Duke orders Gung Ho, who is in the rear section of the ATV with Tripwire, to drive the ATV away and take Route B, which is a very rocky road, uh, according to Lady J. Uh, and Duke realizes that the road is quite bumpy. However, the Joes need to buy Scarlet and the others time to stop their families. Before the ATV turns onto the rocky road, Spirit explains on a wristwatch communicator that the captives are trying to resist, but a greater power controls their minds. Uh, Duke tells... What's up? Nothing. Okay. There's so many flaws. <laughs> well, I'm thinking they already got this vehicle that's carrying very sensitive materials already been shot at several times. Um, but isn't there, like, the whole kind of, like, acceptable casualties of war kind of situation going on here at all? You would think. Like, like hey... <laughs> sorry for your family. <laughs> right. But- Boom. Yeah, it's the whole Star Trek, you know, the, the uh, what is Yeah, the great, yeah, the needs of the many outweigh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, doesn't that play into it at all? Ooh, like, apparently not. There's 13 family members, and there's a billion people out there that probably will die from this thing yeah. exploding. Well, not to mention the giant potato. <laughs> that too. <laughs> so Duke tells Scarlet to stop uh, their families and then wishes the Joes good luck as he begins to ride along the bumpy dirt trail. Uh, while the Baroness orders her unwilling slaves to move faster, Gung-Ho readies the cannons so that he can blast his way uh, through some boulders which have blocked the ATV's path. And I like how even just shooting the cannons on the vehicle is disturbing the crystals. But the vehicle being shot at didn't have any effect. No. They've got <laughs> shocks. <laughs> Tripwire stops Gung-Ho by warning him of the crystals, and Gung-Ho reluctantly agrees. Uh, He drives over the rocks uh, instead of shooting through them, but the rubble below begins to crumble, and the ATV slides towards a cliff. Tripwire shouts, hey, let's keep this thing on the road. I left my wings at home. As Scarlet radios Wild Bill that they are going to try to use knockout gas to stop the captives, she asks that he stand by. The Joes don gas masks and shoot knockout gas at the captives. However, the suits are hermetically sealed. Under fire from their families, the Joes climb onto their motorcycles and drive off in an attempt to lead the captives away from Duke and the others. The Baroness orders the captives to ignore the Joes on the bikes and to follow the ATV, which has continued to slip down the unstable road. Uh, Sliding to the edge of the road, Gung Ho and Tripwire watch the radioactivity gauge, uh, monitoring the explosive crystals, 
as they approach the lethal red zone. Then slowly the needle swings back down to the safe safe area. I want to know when they had time to create a gauge on the vehicle to know that they're reaching a danger area. Standard issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a small drop of sweat trickles down the side of Duke's face, and Duke asks if Gung Ho can drive over the large rocks on the road. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> a small drop of sweat trickles down the side of Duke's face. Okay, so out of all of the, the entire episode, that that detail had to be noted in their Evident, recap? Evidently. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, some things are just really important. Evidently, I, I, Duke's sweat is really important. <laughs> to Diana Davis, maybe, but I don't... <laughs> She'll appreciate that. <laughs> she, she appreciates anything to do with Duke. <laughs> and so... Uh, Gung Ho successfully begins to drive over the boulders. Duke replies uh, about how uh, Gung Ho is saying that he owes him ten bucks, and uh, Duke says you, can, dollars. <laughs> says you can keep the ten bucks, pal. You just earned it. Uh, Quick Kick and the other Joes stand on a road and watch Wild Bill drop a net on their families. The Joes gather the ends of the net and attach the rings on the corners of the net uh, onto a hook and wench the... Uh, the attached to uh, Wild Bill's dragonfly. As their family members are carried away, Shipwreck shouts at Wild Bill to take care of them, and Wild Bill tells everyone that he'll just uh, rock them to sleep as if they were in a cradle. Expresses, uh, expressing his relief and trying to comfort Scarlet, Shipwreck places a hand on Scarlet's shoulder, and all the Joes watch Wild Bill fly away. And then, then some crazy shit happens. Because <laughs> it hasn't been crazy up to this point. Uh, the Baroness orders Tomax and uh, Zema to activate the battle suits, and each suit generates a field of energy that destroys the net, allowing the captives to fall into a river below them. Not knowing their families can breathe underwater, the Joes watch helplessly until they see the captives float to the surface. However, they do not swim to shore. Uh, enraged that the prisoners are not moving, the Baroness calls Dr. Marks and demands to know why the captives are not doing anything. The scientist explains that because the machine controlling the captives' uh, wills is a full, at full power, they do not have the ability to think creatively, and also explains that she will have to think for the prisoners. Uh, after ordering Tomax and Zamat to call their agent to pick up the captives, <laughs> a fisherman enters a small wooden hut and drives a Cobra hydrofoil while wearing a Crimson Guard uniform. Shipwreck urges the others to get on their bikes drive down and pick up their families out of the water. However, Spirit steps in front of Shipwreck's motorcycle and yells at him, no, threatening uh, Spirit to get out of his way. Spirit tells Shipwreck that they have to free their minds of, of their families before they can free the bodies. This is the best part of the whole episode. The Cobra Hydrofoil extends a net from the side of the boat oh, yeah. and scoops up the family members and drives away. <laughs> I, it was like uh, the type of net you get with for your like aquarium, where you just kind of yeah. sc- <laughs> scoop them all. Uh, uh, Classy, <laughs> I guess. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, wait, wait! This is the part of the episode you're saying doesn't make sense. Yeah, out, out, of, out of the two parters, I, this is the part you have issue. Right, with. this is the part I have issue with. Okay, at least have the at least have two mores with a net between them that scoops them all up. That would require animating twice as much. That's true. I can't even open a door. <laughs> right. 
they can open it, it just can't open it the way it looks like it should open. <laughs> yeah, it's a false door. Uh, Scarlet orders Wild Bill to follow the Cobra Moray and then tells the Joes that Cobra probably has a base in the area. And turning to Spirit, she tells the Joe, Joe's tracker, and if anyone can find it, Spirit, it's you. <laughs> Meanwhile, the ATV continues to roll onward, and Duke radios Dusty and Footloose to meet him at the rendezvous point on the double. Uh, Duke radios Scarlet on her wrist communicator and explains that in about five minutes, the Joes will encounter the captives, so she and the others need to find the Cobra base and destroy it. Aboard the helicarrier, the Baroness orders the captives to move faster in order to intercept the ATV. Then the captives appear over a hill. Uh, Gung-Ho stops the ATV and decides to take a left in order to put some distance between himself and Cobra's prisoners. However, Dusty speeds down the path Gung-Ho was considering and explains that they can't take the road because it leads to a town, and if the crystals explode, then the town will be obliterated. I feel like there were certain points in these episodes where they decided to add stuff like that, like filler stuff like that, because they realized they made this a two two parter. Like, oh yeah, they were running short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like I even Total think fodder. I even think them saying that there were seven families to collect was part of that. Like, like they were like they started off with like oh they'll kidnap three of the family members <laughs> or something and then they're well, like I, I can see them writing the episode and going crap. <laughs> okay, it's not long enough. It's too long for one. Right. Not long enough for t- fuck. Okay, wait. <laughs> let's let's just add people. Just okay. add shit. Right. Right. That's how I took it. Because <laughs> I get I I yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna go there. Like the whole first episode was just for the most part just kidnapping family members. <laughs> it was set up complete set up. Yeah. Uh, Spirit finds the base, and after barbecue confirms that the tracker's abilities uh, by pointing out. Uh, an antenna, uh, an alarm inside the Cobra base goes off. Dr. Marks asks in a panicked voice what he should do. Uh, Cobra commander, uh, or Baroness says, you have soldiers use them. Cobra soldiers pour out of the base and the Joes uh, die for cover. The Joes scatter and each one attacks the, uh, the Cobras until they have knocked out all of the Cobra agents. Duke radios that they have 30 seconds until contact with the Cobra controlled families and the Joes begin to push their fight towards the base. Uh, Baroness orders the captives to move faster, and as they run towards the Joes, Duke orders Dusty to run interference. Driving towards the captives, Dusty swerves sharply several times in order to create a large and thick dust storm, but the Baroness orders her slaves to shoot at the Striker and uh, its tires, um, and that destroys it. After the Striker flips over, Footloose asks Dusty, how come those civilians can shoot better than you can drive? Dusty sarcastically tells his friend, funny, very funny. And the two dive uh, uh, for cover as Cobra's puppets continue to fire. Meanwhile, Scarlet and the other Joes attempt to infiltrate the Cobra base. Uh, As Duke tells Scarlet that the crystals are ready to explode, Spirit knocks out the last two Cobra guards, and the Joes rush into the base while the captives concentrate on their concentrate their firepower on the door of the ATV's compartment containing the explosive crystals. Because that's what you want to do. I was, I did, yeah, I was like, they're all dead right there. But doesn't the thing, like, doesn't the, the carrier, doesn't it, like, crash into a rock? Yes. So why didn't the crystals explode then? I don't know. Because <laughs> they're just laying on a blanket in the back of the truck, yeah. right? Yeah. 
and they're evidently vibrating, and we, they've been watching this gauge from just run, just from riding over bumpy rocks. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is when they cut them in half earlier or whatever, they started growing on their own. Yeah. But since they put them in the truck, they haven't grown at all. They haven't grown at all. Yeah, they should be, like, fully engulfed inside that. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm just saying. As Duke tells Scarlet the crystals are ready to explode, Spirit knocks out the last Cobra guards and the Joes rush into the base while the captives concentrate their firepower on the door of the ATV compartment containing the explosive crystals. Dr. Marks tries to attack Quick Kick with a lead pipe, but the Joe quickly moves out of the way, disarms the Cobra scientist, and twists his arm as he pushes him towards the other Joes. Scarlet... have a bunch of extra lead pipes laying around? Evidently... He, he disconnected a pipe that was probably something crucial. I was going to say. It's <laughs> keeping the base from exploding. Right. Uh, Scarlet learns which machine is controlling their families, and after she orders the doctor to shut off the machine, he screams that if anyone tampers with the machine, the minds of their family will be destroyed. Uh, the ATV's door is melted away, and Duke, Lady J, Tripwire, and Gung Ho watch Jesse pick up a rock and climb towards the crystals. It, and to your point earlier, isn't this when you shoot the kid? Yes. <laughs> like, we're all going to die unless I shoot this kid. Right. Executive decision here. Right. Hello. Right. I don't, I mean, I don't take any pleasure in shooting a child, but when that child's going to cause the, cause the death of millions, millions of people. Yeah. <laughs> you put a bullet in his head. Right. Sorry. That's how it works. Uh, Duke removes his radio headset and leaps out through the hole in his windshield in order to stop Jesse, and as Scarlet radios for an update, Dr. Marks escapes from the Joes uh, via a secret exit in the lab, because <laughs> there's always one. Uh, the Baroness orders Duke to surrender the crystals. However, Duke tells the Baroness that she is bluffing, but the Baroness coolly tells Duke that it would be uh, worth losing the crystals if he was destroyed in the explosion. Uh, Lady J radios Scarlet that unless the Joes destroy the machine controlling the minds of their families, the Baroness will destroy the Joes and their families with the crystals. Uh, Scarlet and the rest of the Joes wonder if the doctor's warning was real, but then Shipwreck aims his gun at the machine and tells the Joes there's no time to argue. Scarlet gives the order to fire the machine and blow it to pieces. So that's when they finally make the decision that, you know what, it's worth the risk of our families having their minds completely wiped out to save all these people. I could have wiped out Jess's mind with a bullet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd do it. That, that would just do saying. it. That would Problem do. solved. Yeah, that would do it. And then if someone else came over to pick up that rock... <laughs> you know what? I got more bullets. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, at the ATV, all of the captives but Jesse groan and remove the Cobra battle suits and augmenters from the templates of their heads. As the Baroness shouts at Jesse to smash the crystals, Duke urges Jesse to not do it. Uh, then the Baroness yells, smash them, you little brat. And Jesse says, I, yells, I'm not a brat. Dropping the rock to the ground, Duke laughs, helps Jesse down from the ATV and tells him, you most certainly aren't. Good. Yeah. Desperate to know what is happening, Scarlet radios Duke and he explains that everything is A-OK. Tears swell in her eyes and all of the Joes embrace one another in a group hug. Uh, but Baroness is not defeated and orders the Rattlers to fly out. The Rattlers come from uh, 12 o'clock high. Duke orders Dusty to get the civilians as far from the ATV as possible. However, the O'Hara's and Spirit's grandfather tell the Joes that they will remain uh, and fight. 
The Joes climb aboard the Dragonfly and transport helicopters and fly out to the desert to assist their teammates in the battle. Lady J continues to request air support from the Joes until a Rattler destroys the communication console, console of the ATV. Uh, the Cobra helicarrier arrives at the uh, and the Baroness orders the Crimson Guard commanders to lower the grappler. Scarlet shoots down a Rattler with missiles from the Dragonfly, and Jesse runs away from uh, Vina, yelling that he wants to help. However, a Rattler catches the kid in, in the open and begins to fire at him. Again, this would not be a problem had they just put a bullet in the kid's head. Problem solved. <laughs> Scarlet destroys the second of the three Rattlers with a missile. The Cobra Helicarrier floats over an ATV and grabs the vehicle with two grappling hooks. Uh, awestruck by the immense size of Cobra's helicarrier, Lady J tells the Joes <laughs> that they can't stop it, uh, but Duke replies, we've got to. And he and the other Joes raise their guns and try to stop Cobra from stealing the crystals. The grapplers uh, snag the ATV and begin to draw the vehicle upward. Uh, Duke orders the, dra- the Joes to get as far from the ATV as they can and, and in the sky uh, the last of the Cobra Rattlers flies behind the dragonfly and tries to shoot it out of the sky. Spirit's grandfather sternly tells Vina and Jesse to leave. Then he takes aim at the Rattler. I thought this was a badass mo- moment, <laughs> as far as I was concerned. Grandpa got a gun. <laughs> he took out a Rattler with a rifle. With a single shot. Because <laughs> it's not designed to take fire at all. No, not at all. They, they hadn't been shooting at each other the whole time. <laughs> Uh, he strikes the control panel inside the Cobra's plane, uh, Cobra plane's cockpit and forces the pilot to eject from the fire raging inside the plane. But the plane does not crash to the ground. Instead, it glides in a semicircle towards the ATV, and the wing of the plane cuts one of the cables. The Joes run from the scene as quickly as possible after Tomax and Zamot tell the Baroness that the crystals are about to explode. She orders the grapplers to be cut uh, and for the helicarrier to fly away. The bay doors to the Cobra flying base close, and the ATV falls to the ground, bounces, and explodes in a horrific, deadly explosion. Dirt and debris sweep across the land, across uh, along violent winds, and in one of the transport helicopters, Barbecue whispers in a tortured voice, Dad. Okay, shouldn't that have been the end of Utah? <laughs> for Yeah, for as much damage as the little one did yeah. that Tripwire tossed over his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> that should have been the end of the earth. <laughs> Just saying. And wouldn't like the helicarrier and everything fall? I don't know if it, it would give off an EMP wave, like because uh, doesn't mm. don't nuclear explosions do that? Well, I don't know. It depends on whether this is the same type of. Yeah. But I just I also don't understand why the blast doesn't go up and the shock wave alone should have sent the thing into the ground. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Well, well, let's face it. Like again. They should have all died. <laughs> Everybody's dead. Uh, when the torrent is over, uh, the Joes search for survivors, and one by one, they find all of their loved ones. Uh, as Gung Ho, Tripwire, and Lady J climb to their feet, they wonder about Duke. They find him about 40 feet behind the Joes, as, uh, and as they help him up to his feet, his first question to the Joes is, is everyone okay? Lady J tells him that everyone made it, and Tripwire explains that Cobra is back to square one. In the middle of the Mojave Desert, all the Joes shout at once, Yo, Joe. I, I think one person should have died. Just at least one. Just like Grandpa with the heart attack or something. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> 
I think it should have been Jess. He had nothing to live for. He was adopted. <laughs> I think it should have been Thunder's whole family because they really served almost no purpose in the whole thing. It should but have been are. one of the Weasley brothers. One of the redheads should have. <laughs> but they are from Louisville, Kentucky, John. So maybe that's why they survived. So John died. He's not here. <laughs> John. See? Okay. See, told you. John went away. Uh, so back at Joe headquarters, Colonel Sharp apologizes to the families of the Joes and explains that strict measures have been have have been taken to ensure that similar events. Never have happened. Uh, never happened again. Which the only thing I would get with that is you'd have to mind wipe all of Cobra because don't they still know who these family members are? That's my point. <laughs> like I don't know what additional steps they've taken to ensure that this won't happen again, other than putting the families in witness protection. <laughs> Lady J then apologizes for ruining the party and explains that the stolen file contains contained the files of seven Joes and only uh, the only family member that was not kidnapped was Gung Ho's. Knowing that revenge is a trademark of the Baroness, the Joes rush out to save the 137 members of the Lafayette clan. Uh, marching through the uh, swamp, the Baroness silences her complaining troops and orders them to move forward after she finds the house. Uh, however, the troops are are captured from behind, and the Baroness, uh, her boots covered in mud, marches into the camp alone and declares that uh, they are her prisoners in the name of Cobra. As soon as the Baroness orders her men to take the clan members, uh, the men who captured Cobra troops take the gun from her hands and scare her. She stumbles towards a group of women who point out, point to her uh, agents tied to a tree and lead the Baroness to a table and offer her some gumbo. Uh, but she overturns the table and runs away. One of the men warns Baroness not to step on little Shushu, which is a pet alligator. Uh, the Baroness runs into the swamp and oh, so, goes... So they're at Disney World. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah, that alligator wouldn't have eaten the Baroness right then and there. <laughs> the Baroness runs into the swamp and the Joes arrive to the clan's home, catching sight of the Cobra agents tied to a tree. Scarlet tells Gung Ho that his family is more than okay Wondering about the Baroness, one of Gung-Ho's clan members explains that she didn't like Gumbo. Suddenly, Gung-Ho's grandmother walks over to him and scolds him for arriving late. Taking his cap off, Gung-Ho hunches over and apologizes, and Duke tells the Joes that it is quite unlikely the Cobra will mess with this family ever again. So this family evidently did not need to go into witness protection. John, you there? (laughs) Where'd Where'd he go? I sent him a text. I was like, uh, you there? You fall asleep? <laughs> he may have. May have. Well, you ready to continue? <laughs> sure. We got I got two, nothing else going on. We got two more episodes. <laughs> Maybe John will wake up in time for one of them. Who knows? <laughs> All right. This one is Bazooka Saw a Sea Serpent. <laughs> sounds like a children's book that didn't make it. <laughs> Oh, and like I said, I had such high hopes for this one, especially knowing it was, Bazooka was in the title of it. <laughs> yeah, but you were the only one. <laughs> I wasn't hoping for it when I was a kid. I was hoping for it when I was an adult. Did anybody hope for anything with Bazooka? Seriously? Just for comedy's sake, sure. I've only met one Joe fan that liked Bazooka. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Everybody I, else is like happy that he got off in the... Uh, in the IDW continuity? Well, no, and, and then the cartoon, they killed him in the cartoon twice, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of Bazooka either. So, <laughs> um, so Cutter points out that 
uh, Pine Tree Tree Cove, a small island in an ocean, uh, is directly ahead and explains to Alpine and Bazooka that he will land and fix the whale's engine. Bazooka, who is sitting on the side of the Joe Hovercraft, stands up quickly and exclaims that he's caught uh, something with his fishing line. He asks Alpine for help. However, the line breaks and Bazooka falls back onto the whale. Uh, Cutter lands on the beach and orders Bazooka to clean the fish and Alpine to gather firewood. And Cutter compliments Bazooka's cooking skills later that evening and Alpine merely burps. He says, don't consider that a, a compliment. We're not in Turkey. So evidently, I don't know this. I don't know if you know this. Evidently, know. in Turkey is a compliment to the chef. <laughs> uh, Cutter leaves the campfire to work on the whale's engine while Bazooka takes the dishes to the water in order to clean them. Firefly, fireflies dance around Bazooka's head, but a trouble bubble flies over the water and is swallowed by a large sea serpent. Bazooka calls the other Joes over to look at the trouble bubble. However, by the time they arrive, there's nothing to see since the sea serpent has slipped back under the water. Alpine asks his friend with the bubblegum brain to give him a break, and Cutter pet, uh, pats Bazooka's shoulder and tells him that it's his imagination. He should just pat him on the head. Thanks, little Bazooka. Oh, hey, let's not bring that into it. <laughs> The best bit, though, is after he does that, there's a pan up, and there's this giant office building that Cobra has on the island. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, they didn't see the lights from it? Because all the lights in this office building are on. Wouldn't you be like, hey, where all that, where's all that light coming from? <laughs> right. right. It's I the mean, middle of the night. You're Joe's. That's your job is to investigate shit, right? Wouldn't you be like, especially when you're like coming onto shore because it's getting dark. You would, yeah. from the water, you would have seen the lights on the island. That's my point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. On the other side of Pine Tree Cove, Cobra stand, uh, Commander stands inside a Cobra base and tells Tomex and Zamot that Professor Braxton was foolish to try to, uh, to escape and has been captured by the Sea Serpent. The Crimson Guard commanders explain that they are not impressed. Uh, as Bazooka tells the other Joes, that he thinks the sea serpent broke his line. Cutter uh, states that he sees some wreckage on the horizon, and as soon as he brings the whale along uh, the side of the destroyed boat, Bazooka jumps into the water and helps the boy and his parents onto the whale. Cutter tells the boy that the Joes have a uh, doctor on the USS flag, and the boy asks, G.I. Joe's aircraft carrier? Bazooka, who is looking at the boy, simply tells him, Yep. And uh, the boy replies, Wow. So even this little boy knows who G.I. Joe, this covert anti-terrorist. At this point, they've got trading cards. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) While the boy's parents are taken into the infirmary, Alpine is told by Cutter to not let anyone touch the whale's engine, and Alpine merely asks who'd want to. Bazooka leads the boy to the control room, and Duke asks the boy who he addresses as Jimmy if he could explain what happened to his family. It looks a lot like Jesse. (laughs) <laughs> he does with red hair <laughs> well the thing I was puzzled with this is why would you be bringing the boy in to ask questions wouldn't you bring the parents in to ask them what happened I don't know <laughs> like no get your information from the 12 year old boy <laughs> he's a reliable source <laughs> right uh, Jimmy explains that the last night his dog Bucky was on the deck of the ship and barking loudly so uh, he saw so it. they put him down <laughs> No. 
<laughs> him and Jesse. <laughs> yes. Preferably Jesse. <laughs> As they looked in the sea, they saw a long shadow pass under the boat, and the next thing that happened, the boat was attacked. With half of the boat missing, Jimmy and his parents clung to the boat until the Joes arrived. Bucky, Jimmy's dog, was missing, so Jimmy can only assume that Bucky was also swallowed by whatever passed underneath the boat. Uh, Bazooka tries to console Jimmy, and Duke tells Jimmy that he is the best eyewitness the Joes have uh, found. Confused and surprised by the news of other attacks, Alpine told Duke that uh, five other ships have been attacked and that the Joes don't have a clue about the identity of the attacker. Alpine jabs his elbow into Bazooka and jokingly asks his friend to tell Duke about the sea serpent tail. Duke tells Alpine to can the comedy, orders Bazooka to put Jimmy to bed, and then orders Lady J and Quick Kick to tell the sky, take a Sky Striker into the air and see if they can spot the attacker. Uh, five businessmen sit around a table on the patio of a yacht club. Uh, did you notice the one has a very, very heavy French accent? Like No. <laughs> it was like... Yes. Really, really... Hey, John's back. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Did you go take a crap or something? No, I'm here. Been here. We've been asking about you for like the past 20 minutes. No, I'm sorry. I... Did you fall asleep? You fell asleep. No. Because we were like, John, are you there? Must have not hit the meat. I, no, I'm sorry, guys. I've been here. <laughs> I sent you text messages. <laughs> I said, yeah. When you go back okay. and hear the episode, you'll hear the stuff that we said. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> and then that bastard. <laughs> okay, as long as you're all right. Yeah. I, I'm all right. I'm here. All yeah. right. I, 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 I'm okay. Yeah, nerves. Rest in my eyes. <laughs> oh, man, that's a line my dad says all the time to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So anyways, the skiers, uh, there's some skiers, and they glide towards the businessmen, jump on, into the air, move their skis, and land in front of the in front of the businessmen. After taking a bow, Tomax and Zamot tell the shipping line owners that if they do not wish to lose their ships, then they uh, should wire money into Cobra's Swiss bank, uh, bank accounts. Did you ever notice that most of Cobra's schemes involve, like, some type of extortion for yeah. like, protection. Yeah. It's the mob. <laughs> the Crimson Guard commanders pass out envelopes, remind them to pay on the first of every month, and as soon as Tomex. <laughs> That's the part I like. <laughs> on the first of every month. And the envelopes. Like, do, do they yes. mail you the check? What, how yeah. does this work? Is it, yeah, I, I, is it prepaid? Really? You're going to screw me and make me pay the postage? Uh, Tomex grabs a bar dangling on a line from a Cobra Rattler, and the two fly away. Uh, Quick Kick and Lady J receive a message from Duke that Shipwreck has stumbled across something, and Duke asks if they can land on Mongo Pongo South Beach. <laughs> Mongo Lake Shore. It's Mondo Pango. And, is it? And, and all I can think of is when I was in college... Uh, the uh, percussion professor I had was in a band called. Originally, it was called Mondo Pingus. Okay. Which is Cuban for big, big something, big <laughs> unit. I'll put it that way. Right. And so when they signed it, when they signed a record contract, they had to change their name to Orchestra M A P M P Orchestra M P because yeah, Mondo Pingus. They couldn't <laughs> That's put awesome. that out. That's, That's awesome. all because as soon as they said Mondo Pango, I'm like, oh, it's Mondo Pingus. That was hilarious. So that is awesome. 
That is awesome. That's so, gonna be my new uh, pseudonym. <laughs> as a sky striker. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Because I'm never calling you that. <laughs> Snap a bat. <laughs> as the sky striker lands and rolls towards shipwreck, the native girl who is cooling mm-hmm. off. Uh, Shipwreck with a palm tree branch runs away. Shipwreck climbs out of his hammock, stretches and yawns before handing Quick Kick and Lady J each a coconut and telling them, I should have known that you two uh, would show up before my before nap time. Uh, and not just that, they he landed right on they landed right on the beach, me like yes. right on right on top of him. <laughs> yes. And there's not much land there that they land on. It's not like a harrier where it just lands can land vertically. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of runway there. After explaining that resting and relaxation were the witch uh, doctor's orders, Shipwreck leads the Joes to a small boat, and they set sail to the other side of the island. Uh, Climbing to the top of a tree, Quick Kick, Lady J, and Shipwreck find a boat with a pirate flag. Quick Kick and Lady J swim to the boat and climb aboard. Because, you know, pirates. Right, it's pirates. While on the ship, uh, the Joes listen to the Crimson Guard commanders explain to Cobra Commander that the presidents of the marine shipping uh, companies have agreed to Cobra's demands. However, Tomax and Zamot remain skeptical as to whether or not Cobra Commander's scheme will work and cite that he lost control and went over budget. Cobra Commander yells at the twins that he is in complete control, but he is interrupted as soon as Lady J tosses a Cobra agent through the room's window. The twins nod at one another and simultaneously say he's in complete control. As the Joes defend themselves, uh, a shot from a Cobra agent's gun hits the control for the, sea, uh, for the sea serpent, and the mechanical monster rises out of the water and swallows the ship. So Cobra Commander went over budget with this sea serpent thing. What is the budget for a sea serpent? Uh, apparently, you went like, over budget. Like, is there? How, like, how do you budget for that? Is my question. Like, well, you know, not comparison have, charts or anything for it. I know, but they they deported everyone, and so they didn't have the cheap labor. <laughs> right. Somebody put up a wall; they couldn't get back in. Right. Right. Uh, as the. <laughs> What? Just saying. As, as the ship falls to the end of a tunnel with two uh, turning, whirling metal blades, Lady J yells at Quick Kick to climb out to the deck. However, as the uh, at the urging of Professor Braxton, who is standing on the opening of a tunnel along with the ship's destructive uh, ship's destructive path, she jumps into the tunnel and is told by the professor that all the passengers will survive. Uh, each of the four survivors is placed in a tube and asked if they will work. The first captive, a Cobra agent, asks if he has a choice. The voice responds negatively, and Cobra replies, guess I'll work. Sec- second captive, also a Cobra agent, who is urged by Cobra commander to say no, is taken away by several tentacles as soon as he refuses. Which, with what happens at the end of the episode, where Cobra commander says no, that he won't work... And then he's shot through the top of the thing. I feel like that's the better choice is to say, no, you won't work. Because then they'll just shoot you out of the sea serpent and you escape. There you go. So, I don't know. Am I the only one that thinks the professor looks like a bad Steven Spielberg? <laughs> he does. I, yeah, I thought he was rather festive in his shorts. and. Well, I almost wondered if this was kind of like 
okay, it's Jaws and oh, okay. Mechanical Shark. And... He reminds me of, um, do you remember the character that was secretly the Baroness? It was like the camera uh, crew. From... Which episode? <laughs> What's that? So which episode when she was totally in? Uh, oh, <laughs> well, you remember how there was like the camera crew that all were, they were doing the documentary of G.I. Joe or whatever it was. And then there was the one frumpy guy that ended up being the Baroness in disguise. This guy kind of reminds me going to your point earlier, Shannon, where all the kids look the same. I feel like all of like these director looking guys look the same. Uh, There's like one standard model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Cobra Commander screams yes that he'll work, and Quick Kick responds to the question, work, you bet your life, sweetheart. Uh, Professor Braxton and Lady J reach a room impervious uh, to the serpent's mechanical immune system, and inside the room, Lady J meets Bucky, Jimmy's dog. Professor Braxton turns uh, on the monitor and introduces Lady J to the serpent's immune system, an element enforcer. <laughs> what? Immune system, Lady J, Lady J, immune system. <laughs> and then shows her the red room where captives from other ships sort through the loot acquired from the ships. Professor Braxton laughs as they watch Cobra Commander sit in the red room and be forced to work around the clock and allowed to rest for two hours, uh, rest during coffee breaks, which that cracked me up too. It would be like coffee break. Anyone just, everyone just passed out the second they would say coffee break. they just go to sleep. Uh, alarms blare in the room, and Professor Braxton tells Lady J that the creature has locked onto a new target. On the ocean, a news anchor man, uh, Howard, announces that a monster is terrorizing sea lanes and explains that reporter Mike Ferguson has the latest report. Flying above the serpent in a helicopter, the reporter aims a camera at the creature and explains that he may be the next meal. But Wild Bill, Gung Ho, and Airborne, who are recognized by the reporter, fly towards the serpent and attempt to destroy it with the firepower of the dragonfly. Uh, the serpent knocks the Joes out of the sky and dives into the ocean, but Deep Six radios the USS flag that he will follow the monster in his shark. Uh, Tomax and Zamat, the Baroness, and Destro agree to wait for the Joes to spend their own money, uh, men in vehicles, and when the creature has stopped, the four of them will move in, raising either... Uh, fruit and glasses, the four Cobra agents toast and agree to the proposal. Uh, Cobra Commander finds a gun and is shocked by one of the Enforcer elements, while Quick Kick is told by Lady J via radio that the professor, that Professor Braxton is attempting to sabotage the hunger mechanism uh, driving the creature. Uh, unfortunately, one of the Enforcer elements finds the Professor's uh, intruding and uh, and actually causes it to fall, uh, his welding torch to fall and damage uh, the hunger drive so that the serpent will always be hungry. Uh, in the ocean, Deep Six is knocked to the side by the tail and radios Duke that the creature is growing. Because it's basically using all of the elements it's gathered from wrecked ship, ships to make itself bigger. Uh, realizing that the creature needs ships in order to feed itself, Duke believes it will head towards New York. While Bill, who is standing on a bridge, spots the creature and tells the others that it is, uh, it is moving like lightning. After Duke is told by Breaker that the tanks are in position and that the mauler is stuck in traffic by, by thunder, Duke decides to hunt the creature on his own with a sky striker. Talking about, you know, going back to earlier about lazy animation, uh, 
Yeah. I like how when they're all on the they have all the vehicles on the on the dock shooting, there's a bunch of maulers there shooting yeah. at the creature. But this one mauler that Thunder has in <laughs> on, in traffic is gonna make all the difference. It's the one guy. Right. <laughs> but you notice it's the New York ferry that uh, Larry always loves to have like uh, Scarlet and Snake Eyes like making out and then getting into ninja fights on. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. It's that same ferry. Nice. If I ever get to New York I'm gonna sink that fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Either that or I'm going to get in a kung fu fight in the middle of it. See if you, anybody notices. I was going to say, do you need me to edit this part out so like police don't show up at yeah, your house? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm already on enough watch list. <laughs> Mr. Gallant, we really don't need you going to New York anytime soon. <laughs> Please stop threatening stuff because Larry puts it in the book. Uh, moments before the mechanical serpent attacks a ferry with hundreds of passengers, Duke fires two missiles into the creature's mouth in an attempt to stop it. However, the serpent remains unharmed, and Duke radios the Mobats and Maulers on the pier to fire at the serpent, but their shots uh, are just as ineffective as Duke's missiles. Okay, I think we need to point out here, this is probably the most inappropriate thing that he could say. Or you could, me? now with it now watching through a jaundiced adult eye, <laughs> what Duke says when he shoots those missiles. What does he say? He says, "Let's put something down your let's put something let's put something hot down your throat." <laughs> oh yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> I did bow, 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 bow. Oh, sorry. I did, oh, I did not. I did not catch that at all. I am so oh, glad I you did. did. <laughs> I, I wrote it here in quotes. I was like, "Holy cow." Yeah, I'm, but the, I'm so <laughs> glad you caught that. <laughs> Essentially, this is their Godzilla episode, isn't it? Oh yeah, very, yes, so. oh, absolutely. I mean, just the whole scene where it's like it looks like it's on the streets and it's just yeah. firing on buildings and everything else. Yeah, very much Godzilla. Uh, lasers shoot from the serpent's eyes and set fire to the city, but with the streets empty, the mauler is able to drive uh, forward and take two shots at the serpent before it is destroyed. Before the mauler is destroyed. Uh, Lady J tells Professor Braxton that they need to find a way to stop the serpent. Professor Braxton creates an energy bleed, and the serpent uh, falls into the water and swims towards the ships to replenish its energy supply. Uh, Alpine drives the whale and tells Bazooka to grab his to grab his bazooka and to fire at the creature <laughs> as soon as it passes over uh, the serpent's nose. See, thanks, John. Everything has a double entendre now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Bazooka fires into the water and chokes as the water <laughs> splashes on him. Chokes his chicken while the water splashes on him. And Alpine just shakes his head. Suddenly, the serpent's head rises from the water, and the whale is stuck on top of the serpent's head. This is going to get become one of those episodes again, like the conch shell, where I'm not going to be able oh, to yeah. just reading this. Does the serpent have both eyes or just one? <laughs> Uh, he eventually gets both eyes shot out, so I don't know. Is it a trouser serpent? What? <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying it's a one-eyed snake. Right. Uh, the hovercraft and the Joes fall into the water, and as soon as Alpine resurfaces, he calls out for his friend. 
but he is nowhere to be found. Under the water, Bazooka hangs onto a fin on the tail until he is above water. He fires two shots at the serpent's head, and the monster turns and tries to bite Bazooka, but he dives into the water, and uh, Bazooka dives into the water, and the serpent bites its own tail. Caught in an... In, uh, in, or, I'm not even going to read that. <laughs> I no, no. Come I can't on. pronounce it. Caught in an aerobic shape. O-U-R-O-U-R-B-I-C. What? That's what they have spelled here. I don't know. I can't yeah, pronounce move it. On. Move don't on. Worry about it. That's what I was saying. I know you were looking for something dirty that I just didn't want to yeah, say. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. <laughs> no, it's nothing Nothing that That was good. a letdown. Nothing that good. Okay. Uh, the serpent damages itself and sinks into the bottom of the harbor. Uh, Tomax, Zamat, the Baroness, and Destro agree that the time to strike is now. Uh, when asked... Where he has been, Alpine uh, by Alpine, Bazooka simply replies, fishing. Uh, Cobra eels jump out of the fire bats and swim down to the serpent with the aid of rocket packs underwater. Uh, Lady J removes a piece of debris on top of Professor Braxton's leg and carries him out after learning that his leg is broken. And uh, they attempt to read, uh, reach the red room. Cobra Commander shoots a speaker that is repeating the words coffee break and walks out of the red room with co- with a Cobra agent. Entering a corridor, Cobra Commander, who is carrying a gun, turns to the Cobra agent and says, uh, you first. <laughs> I, that part actually made me laugh. I thought that was pretty typical Cobra Commander and and somewhat, it, it just gave me a little chuckle. Uh, as, co- as a Cobra submarine drops cables down to the eels who attach the the hooks to the, uh, on the cables to the mouth of the serpent. Deep Six drops off three Joe divers and knocks uh, off the ring supports, supporting the cables on the Cobra submarine with two missiles. Uh, Lady J, Professor Braxton, and Bucky find the ejection chamber. <laughs> and, thanks, John. <laughs> and Professor Braxton explains that it is the only way out. As soon as Lady J opens the door, Bucky growls and Cobra Commander invites the two into the room at gunpoint. The why, Cobra, why is she carrying him? Because his leg was broken. Oh, okay. Um, she picked him up pretty easily, too. Yeah, she picked him up like a, like a champ. <laughs> yeah. He like get 80 up pounds. And he's like, no, and she just <laughs> she threw him over at farm and carried him right out of there. Yeah. No effort whatsoever. Uh, as soon as Lady J... She, she is kind of butch. <laughs> the, the Cobra agent shuts the door, and when Lady J sets Dr. Braxton on the ground, he refuses to tell Cobra Commander how to escape. A speaker above Cobra Commander asks repeatedly, Will you work? Cobra's leader sh- uh, shoots the speaker, and several enforcer elements appear and attack not only Cobra Commander, but Lady J. Quick kick... Okay, but- Yes. But those enforcer elements, I mean, it really started to lean toward a hentai cartoon there for a minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Quick Kick opens the door, which smashes the Cobra agent against the wall, and he uses and using uh, shears to cut the enforcer that has ensnared Lady <clears throat> J. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> grabbing Professor Braxton, Quick Kick follows Lady J out of the room, uh, while Cobra Commander is ejected from the serpent's head. <laughs> I paused for a reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ejected or ejaculated? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Good grief. The hole at the top of the head, yeah. 
Whoa, I didn't uh, go there. <laughs> yeah, you kind of did. <laughs> All right, I did. <laughs> the eels abandon the fight with the Joes uh, and swim away to save their commander. The Joes give a thumbs up to one another and return home. A large uh, wrench uh, raises the uh, serpent's head out of the water and uh, quick kick Lady J and Professor Braxton climb out of the serpent to greet their uh, friends while Bucky jumps into the arms of a relieved and elated Jimmy. Professor Braxton thanks Bazooka and tells him that his that he is uh, a brave lad. Bazooka replies that the job was nothing. And then Alpine, who wants to get a picture of the prize catch, tells everyone to look at the camera and say cheese dip. Because Jimmy jumps into the air, everybody raises a hand into the air and shouts yo-jo. And thus ends that episode. <laughs> God. <laughs> I told you, I had high hopes for that episode, but I did not pick up on all the sexual innuendos in it that John and you evidently picked up on. <laughs> I didn't know. I well, you also missed on the opera part when Quick Kick had the shears and started singing on the Barber of Seville. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's you know, right. That, during the hentai section is Shannon's <laughs> I was just saying. Oh, I just... And I and I loved yeah I loved yeah they they took the picture at the end and so instead of just Joe's it was the kid and the dog and yeah right Joe Joe it was funny but, yeah uh, it's very eighties yeah. yeah oh yeah very much so um all right so last episode Excalibur oh sweet God lightsaber that's what it should be called <laughs> right <laughs> seriously no I didn't know Excalibur glowed like that. No, it was lightsaber. It was absolutely. It was... Oh, very much so. The other thing I noticed with this episode is that um, a lot from this episode is in the end credits scenes. Yes, it um, is. There's You're right. quite a bit from this episode in there. Oh, and we also, it's a its a real shame that Robert is not here, regardless of where I was for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, we get a character in here that could have been, would have been perfect for Robert to impersonate, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> That's all I could think of when I was watching it. I know exactly who you're referring to. <laughs> so, an admiral tells Duke that the USS flag is 15 miles from the British coast and optimistically hopes that they have slipped by Cobra. However, Duke tells the admiral that Cobra won't let the Joes set up their new anti-Cobra radar system without a without a fight and one of the flag's crew reports that the several bogies are approaching the ship and will arrive in less than one minute uh duke rushes off uh to the flight deck and knocks shipwreck's uh, feet off the table telling him to move it while shipwreck spins around polly who is sitting on shipwreck's shoulder tells him uh squash by squash by a squash i don't know what that means but uh, Flint knocks a Cobra Rattler out of the sky and warns Duke of a Cobra plane on his tail. Duke is hit several times by Storm Shadow's shots, uh, but Duke pulls out and circles until he is behind Storm Shadow, and he strikes the Cobra agent's plane with two missiles from his Sky Striker. Uh, Major Blood suggests that he and his troops retreat, and as the Cobra Rattlers turn to leave the battle, Destro yells from the cockpit of his own Rattler, Cowards! After two explosions detonate near Destro's plane, Cobra's arm dealer, arms dealer then retreats. Uh, while 
The other Joes fly back to the carrier. Storm Shadow's plane continues to plummet to the ground, and he tells the universe that he is waiting uh, for his for its bidding. Uh, the Rattler splashes into a lake and sinks to the ground. Storm Shadow catches sight of a woman underwater near a stone table, and after slipping on a diving mask, hitting the emergency exit uh, eject button, and swimming out of the cockpit, Storm Shadow swims to the stone table and picks up a sword. Uh, when he reaches the surface, he rips off the diving mask and he whispers in a revenant voice the name of the sword, Excalibur. And dark, menacing storms, uh, storm clouds begin to gather in the sky. So the uh, lady in the lake, is that what that is? Yes. Yes. So what is it, the old uh, Holy Grail thing about damp ladies in the lake going <laughs> around scimitars? Is yeah. that a system of government? Right. Some, just because some watery tart. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> some water bent. Yeah. The thing I love with this episode, too, is I understand why Storm Shadow knows it's, ex, it's Excalibur. Like, because there's the whole Lady of the Lake thing. But why does Destro recognize that it's Excalibur? <laughs> well, I want to know why Destro's castle is like 20 feet away and he never found the thing. <laughs> That's true, too. Right? Yeah. So, uh, aboard the carrier, the Admiral tells Duke that the meteorologists on the ship are baffled by the freak weather storm. However, the Joes still need to deliver the anti-Cobra radar to land. Uh, Lady J suggests that the whale hovercraft should use the transport, uh, uh, should be used to transport the components, and Duke thinks the uh, shipment by hovercraft are worth the risk. After Cutter's whale is loaded with a couple of crates, Shipwreck, who is riding in one of the gun turrets, asks to be pushed away, and soon a small fleet of whales deliver the crates to a village. As the rain continues to pour, Footloose tells Quick Kick and Spirit to throw a tarp over the crates since the rain could wash all of the components back to sea. Uh, as soon as the Joes leave, Storm Shadow removes the tarp and slices uh, the lid away with the sword. Picking up a small circuit board, Storm Shadow considers destroying the radar system with Excalibur, and as he swings the sword, he cuts a nearby stone uh, statue, which crashes to the ground. It was like he swung and he missed the crate entirely, and then he hit the statue next to him. Well, he swung through that. He swung through the crate. And said, that's when he first heard the lightsaber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Yep. Um, Footloose, Quick Kick, and Spirit chase Storm Shadow with guns blazing, and Quick Kick asks... Did you see what he did with that sword? Firing off a couple of shots, Spirit replies, The eyes see much. The mind fails to comprehend. And Quick Kick can, uh, and all Quick Kick can do is ask, You ever think about going into the fortune cookie business? <laughs> Which I found that amusing too, yeah. <laughs> Storm Shadow flips three times in the air to avoid the shots, lands and slices the Joe's guns before driving away uh, from the Joe's on a Ram motorcycle. However, Footloose grabs onto the end of the bike and tries to wrestle Storm Shadow to the ground while telling him that it's uh, wipeout time. The front wheel of the ram hits a rock on the road and Footloose falls face first into the ground while Storm Shadow leaps to safety. With the bike uh, pinning Footloose to the ground, Storm Shadow raises Excalibur over his head and stands over Footloose. The sword falls and the ram is cut in half. Storm Shadow picks up Footloose and begins to carry him to Cobra Commander's stone castle while telling him un his unconscious prisoner that the Joe's information may be quite valuable to Cobra Commander. Quick Kick and Spirit return from their search for Footloose and explain to Duke 
that they could not find their teammates. Spirit and Quick Kick are sprayed by the by the water on Freedom's feathers, and Spirit tells Duke and Lady J that the storm is unnatural. And when did when did Freedom turn into the like dwarf of the litter? <laughs> like, have you ever seen a bald eagle? They're huge. Oh, they're huge. Like, they and, and all of a sudden he's like the size of like a parakeet <laughs> sitting on like Spirit's shoulder. Yeah, Polly's almost as big as Spirit. Yeah, what the hell is up with that? Yes, yeah, bald. E- yeah, you're right. We have a Cleveland Zoo here, and they have bald eagles in it, and those things are freaking, they're almost as big as a person. And that was, you know, when Larry wrote it into the, the funeral scene, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, and he's sitting on his shoulder. I'm like, you want a, like, 40-pound bird sitting <laughs> on your shoulder? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, that's, yeah, they're they're enormous. You don't see snake eyes walking around with uh, <laughs> timber. timber on his shoulder. <laughs> just, like, just hang out there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I want to see you draw that one time. <laughs> I still got to work in the fish and the planting and the the corn and all that. I got to do that. So Duke doesn't believe uh, Spirit, but a man at a doorway tells Duke to think otherwise. The man introduces in, introduces himself as Beamish, and I assume that this is the character that you think Robert would do a good job with, John. Absolutely. <laughs> Because he's kind of derivative of, of uh, oh yeah, of yeah, of a lot of the characters that a lot of Robert has done. Robert has done. <laughs> uh, he explains that the Lady of the Lake, who guards the sword Excalibur, lives nearby, and if the sword has, if the sword has been stolen, <laughs> she will raise her hand and drown the British Isles. She has an apartment <laughs> two blocks over. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's good. Uh, (laughs) Suddenly lightning flashes and Beamish is gone. Uh, Wow, whispers Quick Kick. Uh, Duke spins around and quickly tells the two heads that they are to go back into the storm and that they are not to return until they find Footloose. Meanwhile, Storm Shadow enters Cobra Commander's war room and tosses Footloose to the floor, commenting that the stories of Storm Shadow's demise were greatly exaggerated. Uh, Cobra Commander is then uh, fired upon by Footloose after he swats away a Crimson Guard and grabs the agent's gun. Uh, However, the cheap Cobra junk gun runs out of ammo and Footloose tries to escape. As he runs from the room, Storm Shadow cuts a stone pillar with Excalibur (laughs) and the stone falls onto Footloose, killing him. (laughs) (laughs) No, my my whole point is um that's holding up the ceiling. Yes. Anyway, but but um, yeah, it's evidently not a very important support <laughs> for the castle. Um, while Cobra Commander screams for the Joes uh, to be for the Joe to be taken away, Destro plots to acquire the Invincible Sword for himself before Cobra Commander discovers its power. As Quick Kick and Spirit approach Cobra's castle. Duke and Lady J examine the dam near uh, near the village and discover that it is about to break due to the excessive rain. As Duke orders Lady J to evacuate the village and then save the and then save the radar system, Beamish arrives. This guy like just teleports out of nowhere all the time. <laughs> He's a ninja. <laughs> uh, he arrives and tells the Joes that evacuating the village will not work, and the only way to save the villagers is by returning the sword to the Lady of the Lake. Duke continu- considers himself Ow. going crazy. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. That How does that help? Well, what I don't. Yeah, what I don't get is like, okay, how does evacuating the villagers not help them? No, <laughs> you got to put a sword back in the lake. Really? 
That's your solution. Why don't you go over there to the, the thing and put your finger in a hole? Maybe that'll help, too. <laughs> but, like, aren't the people going to be safe, or does the water find them? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a water vendetta. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, look at it. Uh, Duke is starting to be, uh, believe Beamish. Uh, Mutt and Junkyard visit Flint while he is on guard duty. However, their conversation and coffee break is interrupted by Cobra. While evacuating the townspeople, a little girl tugs on Duke's poncho and tells him that she can't leave without her cat, Queen Anne. And Duke promises to find her pet. Yeah, because that's what he would do. <laughs> no, we, we don't have anything else to worry about. Let me find your fucking cat. <laughs> Lady J reports that Cobra has forced the Joes to retreat from the tactical battle platform and are holding the, mo- uh, the Moors at the moment. Uh, Cobra attacks the Joes and uh, the village and Destro, who is catching a cold due to the blasted English weather. What? He's from Scotland. I yes, know. that's what I thought too. <laughs> Not only that, but it's like I like how he sneezes through his iron ma- his metal mask. <laughs> uh, he apologizes to his friend Storm Shadow for firing a rocket at him. However, Destro explains that he must have have the sword. But just as he's about to fire the rocket at Storm Shadow, Destro sneezes and the rocket is fired towards the town. Yeah. That, that's a setup for like a Three Stooges routine, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I feel like him and Bazooka should get together because Bazooka's the one that falls and fires the rocket. So oh. Destro will sneeze and fire a rocket. And where's Shimp when you need him? <laughs> As per Duke's orders, uh, Mutt and Junkyard survey the village for any citizens, and along the way they find a cat in a tree. Uh, Destro's missiles missile strikes the dam uh, and... As soon as Mutt tucks the cat in his raincoat, he and his best friend are caught in the debris of a house that explodes due to Destro's missile. Uh, while Bill arrives and with several other dragonflies, uh, the Joes rescue their teammates thanks to a few well-placed missiles fired at the Cobra water moccasins. Uh, the Baroness orders Cobra to retreat as Major Blood leaves, he fires a rocket that strikes the dam and the water flows down to flood the village and drown the unconscious Mutt and Junkyard, who just woke up in time to get flooded away. Uh, as soon as the two are swept away in, in the force of a tidal wave. Uh, since Cobra has retreated, the Joes march back to the village in the rain, and Lady J says, man, what I would, what I would give for a nice hot tub right about now. <laughs> I don't know. Shipwreck points to the sky and asks her, would you settle for a cold flood? And the tidal wave from the shattered dam uh, smothers the Joes. And after Mutt hangs 10 and Junkyard hangs 20 on pieces of debris, Mutt pumps his fists in the air and shouts, man, what a ride. Like, like you do. (laughs) Uh, In the devastated village, Duke orders Mutt to organize a cleanup uh, while the other Joes uh, will attempt to find their friends. Spirit sees only two guards at the castle and Quick Kick scales the walls in order to perform a little reconnaissance work. But Storm Shadow attacks him from above and Quick Kick falls to the ground and breaks his leg. Wondering what his, his hero John Wayne would do in, a, uh, in his situation, he decides to call for the nearest American Indian with an owl call which sounds like a wounded chicken to Spirit. It was the worst noise I've ever heard, I think. <laughs> Spirit heals Quick Kick's leg and explains that he has healing powers. And what? Yes. You didn't know that? 
Okay, whatever. <laughs> and the cure, he really just kind of resets his leg, but somehow it ends up being a miracle because Quick Kick like starts spinning around and er- jumping around and everything. That means good things. <laughs> Spirit finds a secret entrance to the castle, and the two enter the building. After Quick Kick knocks out a Crimson Guard, Footloose asks his friend what took them so long to rescue him. Quick Kick tosses a throwing star at the lock on Footloose's door, and the it blows up. Blows up. <laughs> yeah, when it, when do they start getting trick throwing stars, man? I don't know. <laughs> so he's got a couple in here. Yeah, that he's got that, and he's got the gas ones. <laughs> Quick Kick has gas. Yeah, he does. Okay. Quick Kick uh, tosses a throwing star at a lock on Footloose's door, and the three Joes run for cover. Then more Crimson Guard arrive. They enter a room and slam a steel door behind them. Then Spirit opens the door so that Quick Kick can throw another throwing star that contains sleeping gas at the Cobra agents. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Quick Kick rips a drape off of a wall and tells his friends that he needs something to cut the cloth because evidently he can't use one of his trick throwing stars because... Sets off a gas bomb. (laughs) Sets off the gas, exactly, or explosion. God forbid we have a throwing star that works as a throwing throwing star. star. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Spirit slips a knife from under his... He he got tips from Lady J Spears, that's what it is. Because her spears are never just spears. They're always like a net or electrical... Does she have a boxing glove spear? That's what I want to (laughs) know. I don't know. (laughs) She got it from Ollie Queen. Yeah. Yeah. They they all shop at the same store. Right. (laughs) Uh, Spirit slips a knife from under his headband and hands it to Quick Kick, who also... Under his headband? Yes. (laughs) Quick Kick asks his teammate if he has a mauler hidden under his belt. (laughs) Is that a mauler? Are you just happy to see me? Right. (laughs) Uh, While marching in the moors, Flint tells Duke that they are lost and only a sign from above will save them. Then Duke points out into the sky and to the words that are in the clouds that says, Yo, Joe, which it's like the bat signal that, that Quick Kick did. He like cut out and said, Yo, Joe, on the curtain. He put it over the... And it projects clearly. Right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Uh, more Crimson Guards enter the room and shoot, uh, shoot the spotlight used to cast the sign into the sky, but Quick Kick throws a shuriken at the Cobras, and then, which also turns into gas, and then jumps up and stomps on them. <laughs> the shows then make a break for the drawbridge, and Quick Kick uh, Alexa stay behind so that they that he can use his last throwing star to delay Cobra. <laughs> this one's like a nuclear missile, evidently. That's kind of sad. <laughs> Footloose and Spirit punch out two guards and shoot a link in the chain holding the drawbridge up. Outside the castle, Flint wishes for the drawbridge to be let down, and as it drops to the ground, he turns to Duke and asks what he should ask for next. Uh, Cobra fires at Spirit and Footloose, who are sprinting from the castle, and Duke suggests to Flint a bulletproof hide. Behind, yeah, exactly. Behind some cover, Duke asks Spirit about Quick Kick's whereabouts, and Spirit points to the castle, and they see Quick Kick struggling with Storm Shadow for possession of Excalibur at the top of the wall. Spirit calls Freedom to give Quick Kick some help, and the eagle swoops down and grabs the sword. Which has cut through everything (laughs) it's touched. (laughs) (laughs) And flies to the lake where the Storm Shadow found the sword. I also like the fact that uh, 
uh, Freedom is able to grab the sword by the blade yes. from two guys holding it yes. with both of their hands. <laughs> well, he is, uh, he, he fluctuates in weight. So <laughs> he goes from an eight pound parakeet to a 75 pound bald eagle. Right. Whatever. A hand rises out of the water and Freedom drops the sword because Freedom knew where to take the sword. He read the pamphlet. <laughs> He's got a map. Uh, which is caught and pulled under the water. While Flint wishes for the weather to clear, the sun then begins to shine, and Lady J and the other Joes arrive with whales. Uh, as Cobra retreats, Destro complains that he almost owned Excalibur, and the Baroness places her hands on Destro's shoulder as he continues to sneeze violently. Helicopters transport supplies to the village, and while the Joes help restore the area, Duke tells Lady J that the Joes have not only lost the radar equipment, but they also are responsible for dev- the devastation of the village. But Mr. Beamish, who miraculously appears again, surprises the Joes as he enters the room and explains to Duke that the town and the radar system can be rebuilt. What is truly important is that the Joes got rid of the nasties in the nearby castle. The little girl who tugged Duke's raincoat earlier enters the room and Junkyard walks over to her and lets the cat from his uh, from his back leap onto his head and into her arms. Queen Anne, she happily shouts as uh, at her cat, who is nestled in her arms as she hugs the cat. Delighted that Duke kept his promise to find the cat, Duke leans close to the smiling girl and tells Mr. Beamish, maybe we did a great deal here after all. And thus ends that episode. Oh sweet God! <laughs> you know the one thing we one thing we didn't talk about in this one is where yeah. for Quick Kick fights uh, Storm Shadow, which every time I see that I think where is Snake Eyes? But oh uh, yeah, he's hardly in this. Oh, you know, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, he yeah, but uh, Quick Quick Kick gets hurt, and there's the whole bit where Spirit heals him. Yeah, and it's like watching Karate Kid too. Oh yeah. <laughs> And he like does the rub down and he fixes his leg. Yep. And then Quick Hit like jumps up and he says something, but then like in in thought balloons or like you know to himself, Spirit yes. thinks next time I'll fix his brain. Yes. <laughs> ah, it's the best. Yeah, it's it's the only time I can remember in the the whole Joe cartoon series where you heard the inner thoughts of a character. Yeah. No, it was great. But, that yeah, that was, was so funny because yeah. he did. He was like, I want to fix you now. And he starts you know, fixing his leg. And then he just jumps up. And he starts pirouetting around like a ballerina. And, and yeah. next time I'll fix his brain. I yeah. that was- well, and I found it interesting, too, that uh, you bring up another point that I thought of, too. Is I found it interesting that they are now having Quick Kit be the one that predominantly fights Storm Shadow. Because for a There's while, it's a spirit. Right, yeah. exactly. So um, at least Quick Kick makes... A little bit more sense because they're both more sweet. <laughs> I like Spirit. You watch your ass. Spirit's one of my favorite characters. So, mm-hmm. um, but I just found it interesting that they've kind of transitioned over to that for right now. I don't. I don't know if it continues to the rest of the series or not. But um, I know we never see Snake Eyes fight Storm Shadow. But which made no sense. No. We see here what we have coming up next. What are your guys' thoughts with these episodes? They were crap. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it couldn't hold my attention, so yeah. you know <laughs> put somebody to sleep. Yeah. Um I actually think the, the Christy Marks one, like the two parter, would have been better possibly if it was just one episode. Like I feel like it got I wonder if that was a filler episode though. Could have been. 
Like they looked at it and said, okay, we've got to have this many number of episodes. Which one can we extend? Yeah. And they looked at that and said, okay, we can show all these families getting caught and that'll make it, you know, a yeah, longer episode. Yeah, could be. I don't know. So uh, the next episodes we have will be the next five are Worlds Without End, part one and part two. Uh, Ooh, de Cobra. Uh Cobra Claws are coming to town, and an Christmas I- episode. Yes, save that. Yeah, we might need to save that one because again, it's not like these things are following any type of continuity. <laughs> and an eye for an eye are the next five, which I don't remember. An eye for an eye, I remember. I think the other ones, but eye for an eye one is escaping. Wasn't that, wasn't that also a Chuck Norris movie? Uh, might might have been. Mm-hmm. So. See. You should do a double feeling. <laughs> like Cobra Eye for an Eye and then Chuck Norris. <laughs> Just saying. So we finally gave an animated episode. I know a lot of fans were looking forward to another one uh, coming really? out. Yeah, they were. Why? Because they like these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> They are definitely a fan favorite. That's it's probably the episode I get asked the most. Like, when are we really? going to get another one? Yeah. In all seriousness, like these are people's favorite episodes. Because I I just want to sit down with one of these episodes and tear the artwork apart. <laughs> but you have to understand the reason they like these episodes is because of how we view them now. It's not because they think the episodes are all that great. Because <laughs> they're not. Uh, an Eye for an Eye was a Chuck Norris movie. It came out in 1981. Ah. It was a thriller indie film, is how it was designated. It had Christopher Lee in it. Oh. Uh, and Richard Roundtree. Oh. Yeah. So I'm telling you. You were, you were right. I'm telling you. I t- we have to have Robert on and just pick apart the artwork in one of these episodes. That's, That's fine. Well, the drawings are so bad. Why don't we do? Why don't we plan for this? What we'll do is we'll save the uh, Cobra Claws coming to town one for near Christmas. Yeah. I assume we'll probably do another animated episode before Christmas, so we'll save that one for Christmas, and it'll be just that episode uh, that we'll cover, and you guys can tear into it as much as you want to. Have you done like a um, like a, a Christmas animated no show? No. Because the thing would be funny if he did, like, Cobra's coming to town and the actual Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh, yeah. That'd be and, <laughs> because everybody grew up on it. Sure. So Absolutely. Just pick that Well, it's taken us five part. months to get back together, so maybe because we're even saying you're not going to be back till December, Shannon. That's what, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. So I'm playing my dance card accordingly. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> the only thing I think we did do, and I'd have to look back, but I think we did the He-Man, She-Ra Christmas special. Um, and the Star Wars. Oh yeah, the Star Wars holiday special, which oh my, yeah, we did an infamy. Yeah, that one. uh, Chuck says I'll never forgive you for that episode. (laughs) Because we watched and did a whole movie commentary with it, so I I tried to warn him too ahead of time. I was like, "This is what you've never seen it before." He had never seen it before. I gotta watch that episode when it comes around. Yeah. Yeah, so we could we could do that like yeah, yeah, when we get close to Christmas time we can do something like that. I don't know if is there any like 
scary ones that I know none of them are actually scary, but I mean horror themed ones that we could do for like Halloween and stuff like that. Not the Didn't look. they do a Halloween episode? Maybe they did. I don't remember. I think you should. I think you should do a Halloween thing, and it should be like the Fat Albert Halloween special. <laughs> and that would be fantastic. What's what's like like the Garfield Halloween special? Yeah, I remember those. And just pick on those cut. Oh, and if you do the Peanuts one, I can pick that sucker apart until the cows come home. You're talking about the uh, where the Great Pumpkin. The Great Pumpkin. I have oh. I have watched that so many times. I can point out every flaw. <laughs> Why do you want to pick it apart? That's a that's a treasure. I love. Yeah, but a, a treasure is only as good as its flaws. <laughs> okay. There's so many. There's so many mistakes in that because they threw it together so fast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But no, trust me, nobody loves it more than I do. But I will yeah, tear that son of a bitch a new hole. I, I still love it though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we uh, have more than shot our load on this episode. Do you mean do a takeout? <laughs> No, you gotta you gotta do a, a send out. Well, right? yeah, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> well, I'm still gonna give all of our information. A send out. What the hell are you talking you, about? A closing. A closing. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're yeah. gonna do a closing. I just send off. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> you guys have anything? Else? You should have saved that and use John doing that at the end. <laughs> do you have anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Go take a nap before we close up. Close out. Close out. What? Close up. Close out. Whatever. We're closing. Closing. We're closing, closing shop. Closing time. <laughs> are we gonna? Are, are we gonna do an episode in Baltimore? Sure. Of course we is, are. Is Robert gonna be in Baltimore? Or is he not? No. Gonna be there? He's no. Not he's not gonna be in Baltimore. Sorry, I've already given him crap for that many times. So. Muppet winger. Yep. But no, we will definitely be doing an episode in Baltimore. So. Okay. Um, and I am actually, we are actually staying in the Hyatt, which, uh, this year, so we'll be connected right to the, um, the Is the Hyatt center. connected to the center or is it the Hilton? No, it's the Hyatt, Hyatt Regency. Then what's the one that's up near the tram? Is that the Hilton? That might be the Hilton. Yeah. Okay. So there's actually, I think there's two Hiltons there. Are there? Yeah, I think so. There's yeah. one hotel that's got two, two separate locations. Because yeah, I'm, I'm staying at the one that's one next time? to the tram. Okay. That happened to you one time, didn't it, uh, Ryan? Yeah. Wasn't it uh, somebody was staying at one and it turned out to be the other? Yeah, it was Dean Stahl. Yeah. I went to go pick him up at the bus station and he was like, oh, I'm staying at the the Hilton. And I took him to the Hilton and it was the one closest to the bus station. And he's he had to call me again and say, uh, yeah, this isn't the right one. <laughs> so I didn't know there was two of them in the area, but... But yeah, the Hyatt's the one that, that we've stayed there every time except for last year. Last year is when we stayed with Grub. So, um, but it's it's nice, and we're splitting it four ways, so it's pretty cost effective for us. So, and if you are going to Baltimore, reach out and let us know, uh, and we'll give you some information as far as most likely where you'll be able to find us and everything, so we can all meet up. Let's go ahead and give our information out, uh, Shannon. How can they find your stuff? I am on the internet, uh, slgallant.com. I have a blog, basically, um, and there's contact info on the blog if you want to send me an email and complain about something, and I'll tell you to go F yourself. Um, you will, too. That, and I will. <laughs> um, aside from that, you can find me at the shows. 
you can find me in DuPont Circle wandering around asking for money. <laughs> um, Do you have any shows before Baltimore? No, I think Fredcon. No, Fredcon. I will Fredcon. Fred there you go. All right, back off, bitch. <laughs> Damn. I'll be at Fredcon. Sam okay. Ellis is going to have me at Fredcon. Okay. I will be there. And when is that again? That is July 16th. There you go. Correct? John? Correct. That's correct. correct. I will be there. John will be there. Awesome. Jacob will be there. I will not be there. We don't give a shit about it. (laughs) I know. And John, how can they find you? Sure, you can find me. uh, Twitter, John underscore Thurmond. Facebook, John Thurmond. uh, Virginia Comic Con at vacomiccon.com. Our two-day show is coming up holiday week or uh, Halloween weekend, uh, October 29, 28-29, rather. I'm sorry, 29-30. I can't remember. But it's going to be a great show. Uh, we keep added some additional guests that will be announced very soon. Uh, but in the meantime, before Baltimore, yes, I will be at FredCon up in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, on, on the 16th, I'll be chauffeuring uh, Mr. Gallant around. Uh, I believe you can find out additional information either if you Google FredCon or if you look on Facebook, FredCon. Uh, it's going to be at the uh, at the mall in yeah. Spotsylvania, which is right at the, right there in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But it's for for attendees, it's a free show, so nice. uh, be a lot of a lot of regional guests that uh, don't need a pass. You, you don't need a pass. If you come to some of the rich, if you come to the Richmond shows or DC area shows, be a lot of people you recognize. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Very cool. And uh, you can find uh, Star Joe's at StarJoe's.com. You can find us on Facebook. There's a group page and a fan page. You can like the fan page. You can request to be added to the group page. We've had a few people just recently request to be added. And the second I see that the request is in there, I go ahead and approve it. Um, Robert, where can we find you? (laughs) You can find Robert... uh, Not on this show. Not on the show. (laughs) Spending time with his wife, uh, ignoring us. (laughs) Um, What about his sister? Where do you find his sister? (laughs) On the internet. (laughs) Not not on this show. (laughs) Maybe we should start having her on the show instead. You should do that Like whenever Robert can't make it. Ask her, like, can you fill in for Robert? <laughs> she just may, and then we'll just make her a, a regular host. <laughs> she knows. I mean, she's in the industry, man. She is. I know. You know, she she gives some great perspectives from from the stuff that she does. So this is true. No, we definitely actually need to get her on the show sometime because I think, think it'd be awesome. funny. Yeah, we've talked about uh, actually. Well, especially with her now being in the in the industry, it'd be great to get her perspective on a lot of stuff. But Robert and I always joked about having him and me on with our sisters, like having my sister on also at the same time, which could be very dangerous for me. So, But uh, you can also email the show at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. You can call and leave a voicemail message. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-J-O-E-S. Uh, you can, we also have merchandise available. Uh, you just go to starjoes.com, and on the right-hand side, uh, there's a link there. It says Star Joe's Merchandise. Click on it. It'll take you to our store that where you can get T-shirts, sweatshirts, crack. coffee mugs, crack, sure. Uh, <laughs> if it gets them to go there and check it out, sure. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I think that's about everything. Uh, oh, also, Twitter. It's at Star Joe's Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And uh, please leave us an iTunes review. It gives us a lot of exposure. Uh, gives the show more, more exposure so more people find us. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll say it's a good thing. And I'm exposing myself. <laughs> if you want to see Shannon expose himself, then please leave us an iTunes review. Yikes. You never know. We do have some female listeners out there. So they... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hi, Mom. <laughs> wow. I don't know about exposing yourself to your mom, but okay. She's <laughs> seen it. <laughs> okay. So anyways <laughs> on that note, we'll go ahead and close the show by saying the force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care of I'm offensive. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba.